Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999. Welcome to Podcast Like It's 1999. Um, I am your host, Phyllis Cove. And this week, um, we're, we're doing things a little bit differently. Uh, Kenny is, is not with us today. so He's not dead. He's not dead. No, no. God, Lord, no. Uh, it, Kenny was just unable to, to make it to this episode. And um, my very good friend, one of my best friends from Toronto, Jan Katask, is here today. Um, what he, up, Phil? Hello, Jan. Um, you guys will will know Jan as the person who created our theme song. It's true. Uh, our very catchy theme song, and also our um, our artwork. Jan is a uh, is a, um, a graphic designer. A graphic yeah. designer, uh, and also a musician. It's true. Yeah. So um, also, I put on my LinkedIn. It's like creative director for the podcast. So really, is that a no? But is that a, I, <laughs> I don't even have LinkedIn. Right. But, I was going to say that seemed I the uh, artistic director or creative director, whichever works for you. Guys. Whatever you want, you can right. have either of them. Great. I work for free for Phil <laughs> in, in many facets. Um, but it, it felt appropriate for uh, a myriad of reasons. But as Jan um, is a musician. We, uh, Kenny and I thought it would be interesting to have Jan come on and talk about music in 99. Um, specifically, we're going to start by talking about movie soundtracks and then we'll branch out and we'll talk sort of more about music in 99 in general. Um, but, you know, I just, as sort of a, a disclaimer, if you will, or, or, you know, just a thing for our, our listeners, you know, this is the first episode that's sort of branching out from our, you know, movies of 99 thing. And, and we want to sort of expand the purview of this podcast in a lot of ways to include music and TV shows and books, music videos. You know, we're going to do episodes on the MTV Movie Awards and the MTV Music Awards. And, Oof. 
and I and mean, just 99 was real ground zero for like mtv music it, awards right? it really was right. yes it was one of the better ones if i'm not mistaken mm-hmm. j-lo wore her infamous outfit that was you know the and it doesn't matter uh either way um this is sort of the the first in what will ultimately become um uh, a, a hallmark of our podcast, which is sort of to embrace all things 99. It was always the intent of this podcast to do that. Um, but we wanted to start with movies, which is obviously makes the most sense and we'll obviously continue with movies. But uh, this was sort of an opportunity that it felt like we could kind of kill two birds with one stone a little bit and, and show um, the breadth of 1999, uh, specifically in terms of, of music and movie soundtracks. And so we're going to start by asking some bi- uh, biographical questions about some biological some questions. Biological. God damn it, I always do that. Um, about Yon Phil is my father. Um, Jesus Christ. Um, so I know the answer to these questions, Yon, but I'm going to ask them for our listeners. But uh, where were you in 1999? I was with you, Phil. <laughs> for a good chunk I was with you. Uh, <laughs> Phil and I, uh, we, well, we actually met in 1993, June 11th. <laughs> Phil, Philip uh, M. Iskov, Introduced himself uh, to me in middle school and offered me a ticket to the screening of Jurassic Park that evening. So I remember the specific date. It was June 11th, 1993. And um, I accepted the offer. And it was it, Just to be clear, it was a group of people. It wasn't just Jan and myself. Mm, no. Yes, it was. Um, Jan's memory of June 11th, 1993 is spotty, but um, – doesn't matter uh but yes jan and i go way back we uh, both went to film school together who's answering this thing i thought this was my question okay 1990 1999 phil and i uh we were half in high school half in university if i'm not mistaken correct is we that were, the correct memory that is the correct phil memory. and i f- kind of did the quote-unquote fast track of high school not in a smart way more in a stupid way we can you chose- even do it anymore well, well there... we did it to basically we, – we chose to do the bare minimum that we could do so that we could graduate <laughs> half a year early. So Correct. we were done by uh, January and uh, it left us the entire semester to watch movies, which we did a lot of, obviously. And uh, It's crazy to think that this was allowed. Just to give some – so in, in Canada, right. there used to be something called – or in Ontario, there was an OAC. There was grade 13, Grade basically. 13, which has – pretty much been eradicated from does that exist in the world does not exist anymore um but it did exist for a time and it was supposed to be a bridge year if i'm not mistaken to help sort of uh get you into the headspace of college or university instead of us writing our sats which uh, you do here in america i'm from canada uh did we mention that part they know where you're from yes uh, we we would have to take these elective courses, and and you'd get you know I think you'd have a, they were a little more a intensive minimum of six of these OAC things that right. you had to, and then those would become your qualifiers for your university. I, I mean, in or hindsight, college or college as it's known. I I do, I do think that it. I mean, I'm going to say it makes sense, and then I'm going to obviously uh, hurt my point. But I think it makes sense in terms of. It, those classes did feel closer to a course I would have taken in university. That being said, we obviously misused the system by misused the system by figuring out a way to get out of high school a semester early. Yeah, um, which I'm sure a lot of people did, and thus they eradicated this program. Right. So, long story short, first half of 1999, Jan and I are basically applying to film school. Right? Oh, at the, sorry. Yeah, at that point, we had already graduated, quote unquote, uh, high school. I don't even think I went to our graduation because I was like, "We're done." Like, why, why am I going to show up six months, like I four think months I later? Might have. I don't remember. I, I don't either. think I did. Doesn't matter. 
Yeah, and we we watched a lot of movies. We were applying for for the same film school, which we ultimately got into. Uh, Jan, obviously not not obviously, but obviously. Jan, Jan not focusing on on film. It was more uh, new media. Is that it's what it called was? New media. Yeah, I was trying to figure out what that was all about. I do like that at the time it was a new media. But now right. it's not. Right. I mean, at the time it was web design and graphic design and what have yeah. you. Not that it was necessary, but now that's you know pretty ubiquitous. Back then, maybe uh, it might have felt. Either way, uh, that was that was sort of your uh, major, I guess, right? Right, and I think the you know, but in our first year, um, we we all got to study the same classes. We were we were in the same Correct. group, and uh, it was special because. We did go see a lot of these movies together in 1999. I listened. I'm a, a avid big listener. fan, avid listener, <laughs> uh, first time caller of the podcast. And unfortunately, I really uh, it's unfortunate I'm not uh, getting a chance to meet Kenny because I, I, I don't know. even know what he looks like. Actually, I've just heard his voice, <laughs> so I've created this image of Kenny. He's very handsome sure. in my head. Very handsome. And he is handsome in real life. Yeah, yeah. good. Good. Uh, but you uh, will inevitably come back on this podcast, and you will meet Kenny very well. No, I, I look true. forward to that. Um, so I guess my – yes, go ahead. I was just going to say that in university it was fun because we were doing all these film studies in first year. And uh, I think it, when we were at Ryerson, it was the last year where there was still like flatbed film editing. Yep. We were doing like hands-on film editing stuff. Yep. But we also had a hard drive to do uh, digital stuff. So it was best of both worlds. And we had this crappy cinema down the street uh, from university at the Eaton Center, mm-hmm. which was like a 24-theater oh yeah. multiplex that was this. like, I guess, erected in like the 80s. Uh, and it was a, it was the first one in Toronto, if I'm not mistaken, in Canada, probably. Yeah. And so uh, it was the dying actually. days of that Cineplex, yeah. where I think that the Toonie Tuesday Toonie is what we call our two dollar coin because <laughs> yeah, because one dollar is a loony because it has a loony right. on it, and the Toonie doesn't make any sense. It's just it's just a rhyme rhymes with yeah. loony, but there's yeah. no anyway loon on the coin. So we would go see these $2 movies uh, often when there was a spare in between classes or if we just didn't want to go to class one day. And uh, yeah, I think the one I remember seeing with you. Sleepy Hollow like three times or something. Definitely saw Sleepy Hollow a bunch of times. But uh, End of Days, I remember we saw it. I remember you and I, we were killing a a spare or something like that. The Schwarzenegger movie? Yep. What? Where he he, like fights the devil. Was that a 99 movie? Yep. So you should probably come on for End of Days. You obviously remember it really well. Wow, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was. To sort of backtrack, but to your to your point, it, it was sort of a fulcrum point in the industry, and you can see it in the sense that we were doing tactile, tangible editing, you know, actually cutting film and splicing it with tape, and also doing it on, you know, I guess it was Avid or something to that that effect back then. I don't know. They, they always had these like knockoff programs. Yeah. It wasn't quite Avid. It wasn't quite Photoshop. Yeah. Yeah. It was like something yeah. from Australia that yeah. they got a better licensing yeah. deal from, and it was same same great, pro- great school. <laughs> well, I mean, it's now a state of the art facility. Yeah. When we were there, it right. was not so much. Mm. But um, but it is interesting because it, it, it's it's an interesting year for uh, obviously for a lot of reasons. That's why we're talking about it. But you know, it's the, the obviously the changing of the millennium. But also, you're seeing these industries going in different in different directions. And it feels like this is sort of an an interesting point to talk about soundtracks in general, which is that they're not really a thing anymore. They sort of are. You're sort of seeing like artists curate soundtracks a little bit, like Kendrick Lamar for for Black Panther or Lord curated one of the Hunger Games movies. But they don't really exist in the same form. I mean, I don't know if if you're concerned. No, you're totally right. I mean, the physicality of music, I think, is important to talk to totally. talk about before we talk about soundtracks, because uh, I think 99 
2000, but probably 99 was like the last year. Uh, I was 19, same age as you. And that was the last year I was honestly buying physical music or probably paying probably. for music at all, really, uh, if we're being honest here. And uh, soundtrack was a, a, as far as buying CDs. And this is like, I guess 99, the MP3 existed and Napster yes. came around in, in sort of the summer of that year. Mm-hmm. But even like when Napster first came out, I think it was it was tricky still. You kind of still, you know, you kind of had to know what you were doing. And it wasn't, you know, file sharing wasn't quite there. I maybe, totally didn't know. Maybe that. 2000, you know, and we're still all, all on dial-up at this point. So the internet really has not taken over our lives yet. Uh, the soundtrack, the physical CD, I mean, that was like the best bang for buck. It, you know, I have soundtracks of movies that I probably never even saw that just had, you know, great songs. M- or, or maybe just two great songs. Like you would pay $15 for two okay songs yep. just because that's, you know, how you would consume music. So um, it was also a, a great, like it's, it's a mixed CD you know, or a mixed tape. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like that, that in and of itself was just sort of, there was something very, charming if you will about just like throwing on a, a soundtrack that has 15 different a- artists and and that was really cool i mean you also you know it feels like for me the pioneer or at least maybe not the pioneer but the person who really hit soundtracks hard was tarantino um you know i remember that pulp fiction soundtrack being You're a really calling him the pioneer of no soundtracks? well but I, for our generation i think that he was the entry right. point for a lot of people i think that you know that that pulp fiction soundtrack or i mean, I mean reservoir dogs before it but like Taking songs people hadn't necessarily heard of before and putting them on a on a CD together, it made you feel like you were, you know, someone cool was giving you a mixtape. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And it was someone that you – Well, especially Tarantino because those those were the mixtapes, I mean, of oldies almost always, right. you know. So, I mean, I guess there's different categories of soundtracks mm-hmm. of contemporary music uh, and, and – which I think a lot of 99 movies had – uh, and then the throwback sort of nostalgic soundtracks. Uh, and, of course, even the Tarantino movies weren't necessarily set in the time that their soundtracks right. were, you know, Reservoir Dogs being the best example. Yep. Uh, he also was the only one that I can remember, or at least the first one that I remember putting clips, audio clips from the movies also oh, in yeah. there. I didn't like that. I didn't really love it either, but it, it, it was just sort of a thing. And it, it, it really, I mean, again, it was him patting himself on the back for his screenplay. But that being said, it was also, it, it they felt like skits, which was kind of cool yeah. in its own weird way. But all of this is to say that this is sort of, to your point, kind of the, the peak. This is sort of the be- – this is the beginning of the end. This is absolutely the beginning of the end, yeah. I mean I, I was – so I have boxes and boxes of you know jewel cases and CDs. Yeah. And, and the, honestly, we don't, I don't have space for them in our house. And uh, <laughs> my, my parents are, are like – you know. I, I'm fortunate enough that they have a big enough house that I can stash that stuff in <laughs> their basement. And it's sad. It's probably stuff that I'll never look at, like yeah. open or listen to. And occasionally I do sort of go through them. But before the before I came to do the podcast, I was at my parents' house recently and I was in, in their basement and I went to the, like the CD graveyard that exists there. And I mean, I mean, there's hundreds, maybe thousands, but I had so many CDs and so many of them were soundtracks. And it was unbelievable. Like I was kind of like, why do I have the soundtrack to like threesome? And like these are like, like on the soundtrack to threesome. It was actually pretty good as they were going. But again, this is how we would. It, it was like bang for buck the compilation, and I loved it. So I, I, I really did have this affinity to uh, so many soundtracks. It was like remarkable how many soundtracks I had and how many bad soundtracks. And I even found some from 1999, which when the time comes. Yes. No. We're obviously we are we are going to get into that. Um, I mean, I, I think that, you know, even just you saying jewel cases, 
Just Google like it, it's, it's a thing that like doesn't know. I, there's definitely an entire generation that has no idea what that even is. Right. Which is I don't know. It's it's interesting. It, it, it's so. What I think is also interesting is I watched this movie just recently, um, Someone Great. It's a Netflix movie with uh, Gina Rodriguez and it's, it's a really good movie, Brittany Snow. It's a really – it's a cute romantic comedy. I hate to say cute. It's a good romantic comedy because that feels derogatory. Yeah. Uh, so I'm watching this movie and it's got an amazing soundtrack and I thought to myself, well, it's a Netflix movie. So they're not going to like make a soundtrack for it. So I went online and there was no soundtrack to, to find but then I go on Apple Music. <clears throat> and someone has made a playlist of all the right, songs. Right. So like that's kind of the new soundtrack, I guess, in that's some weird funny, way, yeah. which is interesting. And it's also more comprehensive as well because, as you remember, a lot of these soundtracks are inspired by, quote, unquote. So they don't even actually have a lot of the songs that actually play in the movie. Mm-hmm. You know, they're more, you know, a, a compilation of songs that they could get or the director wanted to get or whatever the case might be. So it, it's just it's just interesting how even in its time, the soundtrack wasn't necessarily all that indicative of the movie of the music that actually played in the movie well, itself. E- even yeah, I mean, and then there was those times where the soundtrack they clearly could get licensing for the music in the movie, mm-hmm. but they would not be able to go to the press. So you'd have the CD where like you're missing. Eight of the songs that appeared in the movie that yep. you wanted. Yep. Uh, actually, an early soundtrack memory, probably one of the first soundtracks I went out and like sought out for myself was Batman in 1989. And I was so excited, and <laughs> and 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 I should sort of state that it was I was excited for the score of uh, of Batman. the Danny Elfman score. Yeah. yeah, and I loved the theme song. And all you the didn't music. like the Prince songs. Well, as a nine-year-old, it wasn't <laughs> appealing to me. So I, I remember getting home and yeah. I popped the cassette in this preset. Yeah. And I was like, "Oh fuck! It's all Prince, it's Prince stuff." <laughs> I didn't, I didn't read it too. Yeah. Oh. And uh, you know, so but to this day, you know, I still enjoy some Bat Dance, and uh, it's a great soundtrack. It's, it it's grown on me. But uh, I was pissed. You know that it was supposed to be uh, him and Michael Jackson it was going to be a double album. He was going to play the Joker, and Michael Jackson was going right. to play Batman, and it was going to be like themed. I don't even know what that. That sounds crazy to yeah. me, but it'd be, it would might have been interesting. But yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it is it's interesting to think about sort of this idea of like you even said sometimes sometimes the soundtrack wouldn't have the song that you wanted and then sometimes you get your volume twos that sometimes would have maybe songs they didn't include on the first one that you might have wanted like i remember Blue right. nights had two volumes and like, i mean that that's just you know, a cash grab obviously 100 but, uh, but still that's so funny the volume two and it's funny you mentioned the, the netflix shows and and the the shows that you know and and, and often i you know with some of the new programming it's it's the most amazing like music and you still do hear sort of songs for the first time uh in tv shows or movies right now and I, and you know it's so funny you can sit there with shazam and sort of you know it's crazy hear it out and like, oh and, and immediately get yourself that soundtrack uh but you know there are still the original score i was thinking about graham coxon the guitar player for blur who did the soundtrack for the end of the fucking world is that what's called yeah yeah oh did on I? I netflix and he did all the guitar work and it's an, an incredible That's soundtrack really cool. And they actually, you know, it got released on vinyl. Oh, it, did. Like, it got a proper release as well. So, but that's it, as a Graham, I'm assuming, right? I mean, yeah, him, him probably pushing for that. Not that he shouldn't, but you know what I mean. Like, yeah, I guess. But uh, but it still happens. I mean, the, it was still a soundtrack that was put onto you know vinyl, yeah. and I'm sure it's like available on streaming. And uh, that's cool. So it definitely exists. Yeah, I mean, it, it does feel like um, I don't know if we're seeing more and more of it, but it does feel like a lot of musicians are now 
going into the the composition, the score compositions for a lot of things. I mean, you, obviously Tom York just did uh, Suspiria. Uh, Johnny Greenwood has been doing, you know, uh, Paul Thomas Anderson's movies for a little while now. I have a segue. Do you have a segue? Are you doing the segue? No, please go. The segue <laughs> is uh, w- one of the most amazing and, or at least interesting scores of 1999. Oh, yeah. Composed by? Damon Albarn. Damon Albarn. Our, and uh, our Michael Dynan. Yeah, what, a movie that we did, you know, relatively early on, but Ravenous is a fantastic movie mm-hmm. with a great score. Mm-hmm. It's And it's, you know, as Kenny and I discussed on the episode, it, it's it. It was two guys. It was a, right. a, a composer um, or a you know score composer and and Damon. So it does feel like it's got sort of it's like a two headed beast but right. that works so perfectly for the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's a fantastic score. Uh, I'm surprised he hasn't done another one. Well, that's that was also you know Damon Albarn who you know from there jumped into Gorillas and the Good, the mm-hmm. Bad, the Queen and so many other musical projects. I mean, that was sort of I believe his first real offshoot from his old band Blur. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I, I think I'm sure it was an important musical pivotal moment for him. He's like, oh, Absolutely. working with someone new, doing something a little bit different, and uh, and you know, truly experimental. I mean, so it's, it's a weird score. I mean, it's not uh, it's a cool score. Mm. It's a great movie. I, I mean, I, I think that. It's just interesting that we're seeing – I don't know if we're seeing more of it, like I said. But I do feel like um, you're, you're – as, as a fan of their bands, you're going to immediately be interested to see what they're doing with a movie. And I, I mean I thought Tom York's score for Suspiria was fine. I, I didn't watch the movie because I don't like horror movies. Particularly. Another one that got the huge vinyl release. It did get yeah. yeah. Um, but Phantom Thread is one of my favorite scores. I yeah. think that it's an absolutely magnificent score. Um, so it, it, it's, it is really interesting to, to see how we're seeing a lot of, I don't want to say pop musicians, but musicians right. sort of, you know, um, segueing into that. So I think that this is, is a, that a good place to start. Should we segue into scores before soundtracks? We could do that. You want Let's to do, do that? It. Yeah. Sure. So in, in 1999, um, I mean, are there, are there scores that jump out at you? I mean, are there movie scores that, you know, I'm, I'm sort of. It, it's tricky for me because the the ones that 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 I really loved um, from that year. I mean, I thought that that Thomas Newman's score in American Beauty is is a great score. I think it's a score that, mm-hmm. that it is that, a stand- I, that, that, that must have won out. an Oscar. Didn't I believe it won Best Score. Okay. Um, I think I don't know the answer to that. I should know the answer to that. Well, uh, my jump out moment, mm-hmm. uh, and it was probably from my least favorite movie of the year. Uh-huh. But Duel of the Fates, that was the John Williams. Yeah, I mean, sure. that it's a great Phantom score. Menace, it's a great the sort of the theme song that was created. And, you know, of course, the greatest living composer, maybe uh, John Williams, who put it together. But Duel of the Fates, it was the Red Violin won best score in 1999. Red Violin. There you go. Is that a Don McKellar joint? It might have been. It's Canadian. Uh, I don't. I don't know. I have. Yeah. I don't know. Thomas Newman lost, and uh, John Williams for Angela's Ashes didn't get nominated for Star Wars. Okay. But anyway, sorry. But anyway, I was going to say, Duel of the Fates uh, was to right. me the most redeeming quality of because that was the thing that was. I think when we first saw the trailer for that film, and we actually had hope, and we were like, "Oh, this actually might be good." But that was the. That's the music yeah. that you heard. And it, I mean, it's still a great, it's uh, great. It's piece great. of music. And it's, uh, I mean, all of his Star Wars stores, scores are great, but you do get the impression that, like, not to say that he hasn't shown up for every Star Wars film, because he has, mm-hmm. but like the first Star Wars film in 18 years, he definitely, you know, he comes up with, with a real winner in that score. It's a, it's a standout. Another uh, one when I was thinking scores that mm-hmm. 
I remember back then kind of stood out and I, and I wrote it down and I don't know if you guys have covered this movie yet. And I remember dragging you to this movie and we both didn't really enjoy it so much, but have you guys done in dreams yet? We have not done in dreams yet, but do you remember, I do remember you dragging me to do see you remember that? the story of in dreams? <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, Bruce Robinson, Bruce Robinson, who had, and he was, he had only written it, but he had directed, uh, one of my favorites with nail and I, uh-huh. and he'd done a lot of these, uh, Richard E. Grant sort of collabs. Mm-hmm. So I don't know why the director of another movie I like who wrote this, I just assumed it was going to be great, but it wasn't. It was – it's you know what? It dark. It's dark and I wonder actually if it, it – I'm I'm curious to rewatch it because mm-hmm. I remember yeah. you being like, it's with Nail and I. Right. And like he hasn't made a right. movie it's in a million years. It's like, zany or – It's any of those things. Yeah, but I wonder if it's actually a good movie just that we weren't prepared for it. It might not be. Well, I, I do remember the sound – like the score sticking out for me. And yeah. it was this uh, guy I wrote down, uh, Elliot Golenthal. He actually yeah, did just, Heat yeah. as well. And uh, Batman uh, Forever. And ba- Oh, right? Yeah. Okay. I didn't know that. Uh, but I remember the score is just like these like layered guitars, electronic yep. elements, very sort of moody, avant-garde, dark strings, uh, and, and really just clunky, weird sort of mechanical sounds. Yeah. And I remember, I mean, again, I don't remember anything about that movie, but that I do remember that. You know, it was the a very tonal sort of thing, and it obviously, yeah. Um, so yeah. I think Goldenthal's tremendous. He did um, <clears throat> interview with the vampire as well, which I which I adore. I think it's a great score and yeah. a great movie, but. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think that the Fight Club score, I think, is, is you know, I just recently went to rewatch Fight Club. I saw it in the theater at the New Beverly uh, last week. <clears throat> and the Dust Brothers never really did another score. Um, and they were kind of, a, I don't want to say a weird choice, but they were a slightly outside the box choice in 99. Um, you know, apparently Fincher had gone to a bunch of people, Radiohead being at the top of his list, uh, to do the score uh, for Fight Club. And <clears throat> it's clear what he was going for. You know, which is that he wanted something that felt hip, but at the same time, a little bit timeless. Like, it doesn't feel like it's in a period, per se. I don't know what your thoughts are on, I mean, when you've seen, or have you seen Fight Club recently? I don't. It's funny, because I do listen to the podcast, and now you guys always sort of bring it up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, is, it, is it Kenny's favorite, or did he remember it as his, like, favorite or something? I don't know. It it's, it's, it's on both of our top ten lists, but okay. I don't think it's our, either – it's neither of our favorites. It's neither of your favorites. Okay, but it's funny. It's a movie that continuously comes up on the podcast just in, in passing, yeah. uh, and I just don't really remember it. That's interesting, because you're not I remember, you're like, not a weird Ikea scene, uh-huh. and I remember, like, the reveal. Yeah. I just, like, don't really remember that movie, though. And I have not watched it probably in, like, 20 years. It, it would – I think you'd enjoy it. It'd be an interesting experiment for you to watch it again, because right. I think that on some level it is – it's it's a huge movie but for 99. But it's as good as it was. Is that right? <laughs> is it as good as it was? I don't know how to answer that. I've watched it a lot of times over the years. This is the first time I've seen it in a theater – since 1999, and I will say that sitting in a theater with a bunch of dudes was an eye-opening experience. This movie has been kind of co-opted by the the uh-huh. men's rights. It, it, it's it's a misinterpretation yeah. of the film, right? But to sit in that theater with all those guys, I definitely was like, "Ooh, okay, <laughs> this, is, this is different than me sitting watching it by myself." Right. Um, all that being said, interesting score, um, and you can see how that how the Dust Brothers. Um, led to to Reznor and how you can see how Trent Reznor yeah. has sort of become the, the de facto Fincher composer. Yeah. Um, so it, it's interesting that you can sort of see that. Um, I, I think there's, you know, I, I really enjoy the, the score to Town to Miss Ripley. I think it's a, I think it's a beautiful score. Um, I think the insider has a really interesting score. There's a lot of um, sort of a, a Middle Eastern 
component to that score that's quite interesting, um, or at least at the beginning when they're actually in the Middle East. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it, there, there's there's a lot of very sort of um, – I mean I love the Magnolia score. You mm-hmm. know, John Bryan who was Paul Thomas Anderson's guy until he found Johnny Greenwood. You know, that, that sort of lots of um, weird little – I don't even instruments that feel like wind up toys and right. stuff like that, like all that kind of um, oddly esoteric, but at the same time, sort of, um, I don't know, there's a very interesting vibe to there's a lot of orchestral. Like Magnolia is doing a whole gamut of things, so the score is having to sort of play like a Swiss Army knife. So. I mean, perfect example. I, I don't want. I don't want to get into Magnolia yet because I, I think it's more uh, the soundtrack, soundtrack itself is, yeah, yeah. is important to Absolutely. talk about. But you know, there are certain. There, it's a rare breed that a sort of a movie would have a soundtrack as important as its score, and mm-hmm. that both of them are sort of harmoniously working back and forth together. I totally agree. Uh, one like a composer I wanted to bring up, uh, which I don't think he had a '99 movie, mm-hmm. but I think he had movies right around there. And it was, it's talking about the sort of musician turned uh, score composer is Clint Manziel. And oh, yeah. he, um, he, well, he used to be in Populate itself. That was his band oh, in like that. the 80s and 90s. Uh, and I, it makes sense. The transition from sort of being a, a, a rock star into uh, being a composer makes sense because it's like you can only tour and do albums and sort of be, you know, uh, current and cool for so long. So I think <laughs> transit, you know, when you hear about Graham Coxwell and all these people sort of transition the soundtracks, I'm like, it, make, yeah. it makes perfect sense because they're musicians. It's what they do best. But Clint Manziel, I think around 99 did like Pi and Requiem for a Dream. That was Neither just, of those are. 99. No, Pi is 98, Requiem's 2000. But it's interesting that yeah. that that Aronofsky is his entry point. Oh, yeah, right. Too. Yeah, okay. I think that's what made me just think of that. Uh, yeah, and he did Black Swan mm-hmm. and, you know, Moon, uh, yeah. which was with Bowie's son. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, he, he, he's done a lot of, a lot. he's done all of But not you know, 99, so let's stop talking. No, 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 no. I, I mean, I think he's, I, I, I really love his scores. I yeah. think he's, I think he's a phenomenal um, composer. I think that uh, his Black Mirror, he did San Junipero, which is my favorite Black Mirror episode, and I have the score to that, and it's it's a tremendous score. Um, I think he's a really, really interesting, um, and you can see it by sort of the swath of films that he's done. You know, he did The Fountain, obviously. He's done all of Aronofsky's films, but, uh, you know, he's done – it's just it's just really, really interesting to see sort of um, the the – breadth of what he's done he's apparently he's doing titans the tv series he's doing doom patrol also the tv series both of them are, are uh dc he's, he's a go-to guy yeah he's he's uh he's very very interesting um yes. do you have so i we discussed in advance i know sometimes you guys like your top tens your top fives there's too many uh you know there's it's, too many yeah, lanes here i agree uh and uh i i have i have a number one for some Score? of these categories, or, yeah, yeah, I, I've, yeah, and we I haven't mean, we haven't couple, touched but, yeah. on it, and I think there's a reason we haven't touched on it because okay. it was controversial when it came up in the first place, please, because you weren't sure if it was something that would lived in '99, but it's the Virgin Suicides. Oh right, right, right. yeah, that's the, that's unquestionably the best score. That's the air yeah. air com- composed by again by the band by the Air. Band, air. Uh, the I mean again, it, it, that without is, that soundtrack, that movie, movie doesn't work. I mean, it, it works. works. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's it is. It's also the sort of the I mean it's the beginning of Sofia Coppola's career yeah. but it's the it's the moment where you see this synergy that she's able to find of image and and music it's so important to every oh my single God. movie that she's ever made. So much so that I'm shocked that she doesn't do more music videos. No because I think that like and you I, you, I remember you, you brought that up yeah because it's it's it's, it's better than that. I think it is. 
Sometimes. Right. <laughs> I'm, I mean, I'm, as, I'm not the so biggest fan of every yeah, scene. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Uh, you know, when, when, when I'm watching Elle Fanning in a, in a hockey rink to, uh, Gwen Stefani, I'm, I'm basically watching a music video. Right. It just happens to be in the narrative, quote unquote narrative of somewhere. Right. Um, I mean, the Marie Antoinette trailer was essentially a music video for New Order. And it's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and, and probably one of the best trailers I think ever. I adore that trailer. Yeah. Um, but, you wish that the movie – because the reason that that trailer works so well is because of the dissonance and yet harmony of those two things. It doesn't make sense to see Mary Antoinette and New Order playing at the same time. Like it doesn't – there's a – in your brain. Yeah. And, and yet it's, it's perfect. It's confounding. It's yeah. – uh, yeah. And so that's why to me it's like I wish the movie did that more. Yeah. But all, all that being said, I, I couldn't agree with you more. The Virgin Suicides is unquestionably the best score I think of 1999 and one of the best scores ever. Um I, you know, I, I think that it's, it's sort of, you can't really, you honestly can't really touch it, but, um, I do think that, I mean, I really liked Elfman's score in, in Sleepy Hollow. I think it's a, I think it's a, right. It's a classic Burton Elfman mm-hmm. joint. Yeah. Um, but I mean, you know, not, it's not, not a standout. It's probably, yeah. Hum, hum me the, the, I the music. Couldn't hum you probably any of All the right. scores that we're All about right. to talk about. So, but, uh, but I do think that's, I think that's a perfect, a perfect point about, uh, about the Virgin Suicides. So why don't we talk a little bit uh, just in terms of like great 90s soundtracks and then we'll kind of hone oh. in on 99. Okay. Because um, it, it does feel like, you know, as we said, the 90s was a real heyday for for soundtracks. Yeah. Um, and uh, BuzzFeed put together a, a great, very comprehensive 99 best soundtracks of the 90s. Jan's shaking his head. I'm not sure why. Um, but, you know, just to talk about a couple that sort of, you know, are on here that I think are worth talking about. Um, Romeo and Juliet was a really big soundtrack. Um, I don't know. If, all right. Uh, it's one of my, my favorites. I don't know that Jan has any, doesn't have any thoughts on it. Okay. Uh, I mean, you have to recognize that it was a big soundtrack and that people really loved it. Yeah. I mean. You just didn't, what? You Did you not like the movie? No. Really? wow um all right uh you know i I didn't i wasn't young enough for space jam to mean much to me but people that are younger than me really look to the space jam soundtrack i I never saw that movie and i just watched it with my kids uh, a couple weeks ago weird movie yeah yeah it's kind of weird yeah that really that Babs Bunny or whatever her name. Yeah. Really, really sexualized her. Very weird, naughty bunny. Weird. <laughs> so it's not it's not good. What? Uh weirder, think, like, Lo- her a naughty bunny. Lola Lola Bunny, I think was her oh, name. Oh not Babs. No, it wasn't Babs. All right. It doesn't matter. Either way it's weird. Uh The Crow. Scott Casuccio. Yeah. Well yeah, yeah, I mean that that's a very that's the, the, the goth soundtrack. Yeah, the goth soundtrack. I mean you had you had Big Empty. Right, that was the big song. One of the big songs on there, right? Wasn't that the I, the, the Stone yeah. Temple Pilots song? Oh yeah, right. And then yeah, there was a bunch of songs on there. Sure, I remember. Sure. I remember that soundtrack being Singles was a huge soundtrack. Obviously. Singles was like the defining. Like yeah. that was it, it, that movie felt like a documentary, and that the way that that sound. I mean, talk about bang for buck when you're a kid and you pick up that soundtrack. Yeah. And you basically have every great grunge yeah. artist that it was like you know, and it was the, very contemporary. It struck while the thing was still hot. I mean, yeah. that that was. It's uh, kind of amazing the movie didn't wasn't bigger like that's one of the rare instances where you have a soundtrack that's huge and a movie that is not right um and that that's kind of weird well i don't know was it 
still niche to have this like Seattle story about like a grungy like the the story itself was so weird. What, was it like well, a guy a wanting to make like a train or something? Well, yeah, that was one. Um, yes, <laughs> I mean it was it was Melrose Place, but you know, right. but in Seattle and what have you. I mean, I, I with, like singles. with the appearances from like uh, Pearl Jam at that like cameo. Indeed. I think uh, Tim even, Burton has a cameo, and that's the only the only acting the, he's ever done. Was Chris Cornell on there for yeah. a second? Yeah. It was incredible. Um, very, very, very big soundtrack, uh, bigger than the movie. Um, and you know, um, yeah. And in line, and I think I, I would imagine we don't even, the single most important soundtrack of the nineties mm. for me, and maybe for you is train spotting. I was just like to say that. It, it, and, and what a weird, uh, what a weird, important soundtrack. I mean, yeah. all, essentially it's a movie about like heroin junkies. It uh, is a movie, about but, uh, with the coolest bands in the soundtrack. <laughs> Uh, but again, it was about is the way that entire movie and the soundtrack was packaged, the coloring, the orange, the big like Helvetica yeah. lettering. Uh, the, 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 I remember the subway poster. I think I actually stole like as a teenager the subway poster because so, like, the character, some, yeah, the yeah. character posters, the yeah. original ones. Uh, but I mean that uh, soundtrack was this sort of snapshot, I guess, into sort of the height of Britpop, which was happening then. Uh, and who are the bands like Sleeper and uh, Damon Albert? I don't know. If Blur Iggy was actually Pop, in it. Blur's on it. Elastica. I mean, Lust, Lust for Order. Life was like brought back to life. That song from that soundtrack. Primal Screams on there. Uh, it, yeah. it was. I mean that that was sort of uh, the way that maybe singles was the defining soundtrack for grunge. Yeah. And certainly, uh, Train Spotting soundtrack uh, defined that sort of. I, I wouldn't it say. A lot of I wouldn't say it. that singles was like a defining grunge soundtrack. I think it was more of like a snapshot of the grunge scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the caught at the right time. Yeah, yeah. I think, however, Train Spotting was was much bigger. I would. I would. I guess I would agree with you. I would also say that I think that. Train spotting brought a lot of UK bands into America in terms of yeah. knowing that they exist. I mean, I, I think that you know, if you if you look at the the trajectory of where this soundtrack lands in Blur, for instance, this is right around the time of Modern Life, I believe. Like it's very early in their career, so it's it's and same with Pulp. Like it's just no, sort of ninety six. This is like a peak Blur. Is it? Yeah. Okay. Sorry. My, no, don't apologize. That's fine. But I do think that it's it's they just use the word the song "sing" though, which was from the first from album, Leisure. Which is very confusing, yeah. but anyway. which is like the least sounding Blur song, but, but it's the most depressing. So it goes well with heroin. <laughs> I think, is the idea. Either way, I think that this this soundtrack, to your point, is huge. Was huge, and I think it it helped a lot of people connect with Britpop in a way that maybe they hadn't previously, which I think is unlike the grunge thing which is that it was cresting and everybody was was talking about it so it, i do think that's a, a very good point other notable sound yeah, please, heard, yeah. not even notable soundtracks mm-hmm. with maybe unremarkable films and again these are ex- in existence in my parents basement like why do i have these so threesome was one of them which uh-huh. like who was on the threesome soundtrack uh, let me look that up yeah look it up because yeah. now i don't even I, I should have even researched why i own that uh i'm, I'm I, I have the curious. cool cool world soundtrack remember that movie why it, well because i had bowie on it uh, uh, see, now I'm looking at the threesome soundtrack, and I understand why you own it. So give me a rundown of what's on the threesome soundtrack. Duran uh, Duran, Brian Ferry, uh, New Order. Right. It worked. And then Reality mm-hmm. Bites, I think. Was threesome kind of the – I love Reality Bites. Was real, reality Bites – or sorry, threesome I believe was sort of the thing that – or the reactionary Reality Bites movie. Like it was trying to sort of pick I, I, I do believe there was a little bit of that, yes. I do think that Reality Bites also had – 
I mean, I think the reality bite soundtrack is great because it's a weird concoction of songs. You've got some some sort of seventies stuff in there mixed into. Um, do you want me to, to tell you who's on this? The I just pulled bites? it up. Yeah, okay. go on. Um, but I, I do think that it's it's sort of a, a real kind of moment. Uh, you know, yes, you got some Lenny Kravitz. You've obviously got your Lisa Loeb song, which was a huge some song. Juliana Hatfield Juliana three. Hatfield. But you've also got the knack, obviously, of my yeah. Sharona. Yeah. You know, it's 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 a very interesting sort of. And then Ethan Hawke sings a couple of songs. I don't know. It's a great soundtrack. World Party. It it was certainly a defining sort of of the sort of slackerness of the '90s soundtrack. Yes. And this was earlier, like '94, that that one you know came out. Yeah. I think we're also forgetting one of the most important soundtracks of oh, the please. '90s. Yeah. Uh, Judgment Night. <laughs> You laugh, I know, but I know. it, you love it holds up. I mean, again, totally not uh, unmemorable film. Yeah, totally but, unmemorable uh, film. But that soundtrack kills. It was the idea of taking – and in fact, in theory, it's very 1999. Mm-hmm. The combination of uh, we're going to take this like hard rock band and we're going to take this rap band and we're going to combine them. And every track – is a song of a combination of one of them's like Cypress Hill and Sonic Youth. And they're all original songs for this like medium movie that came out with the guy from uh, – Emilio Estevez? Emilio Estevez. Yeah. Jeremy Piven for some reason uh-huh. was the guy that came into mind. And uh, it was like a random uh, – Cuba Gooden Jr. Yeah. I believe was in there. So we, I mean it's actually not the worst premise in the world. Right. Well, can we have – the premise is basically Synopsis. a bunch of guys go to see a sporting event of some sort, and in they make Winnebago, a wrong turn. Right. I don't think I don't know if they're in a Winnebago. I think they're in a Winnebago. They I think they're like. Gonna, yeah. Totally I know they're driving together. They make a wrong turn in a in a dangerous part of town, and they witness a murder, and then they basically start to get sort of taken out one by one. Not a terrible premise for a movie. Actually, kind of a great idea for a movie. Uh, but but why does it need to have such a kick-ass soundtrack? <laughs> Like it's not like a sports movie. It's not know. like a you know, know party movie. It's just like yeah. – it's just tonally the wrong movie to have such a good soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, I think we discussed this in advance, but I would love to put uh, together a playlist together yeah, of some of these songs because yeah. I really want to put that uh, – I, I Love You, Mary Jane was the Cypress Hill Sonic Youth song. That's going on the playlist. So Mark, <laughs> This is going to be great. Yeah, it's going to be good. Um, so here's a movie that I think you'll have a lot to say about. Um, Are we still in the 90s? We're still in the 90s. Okay. Velvet Goldmine. Oh, yeah. So this was also a classic Yawn that, special. That must be a 99, 98. It's, it's, uh, I don't know what year it is. Sorry. Okay. Uh, 98. Yeah, you're right. So this was a classic Yawn special where Yawn was like, we're gonna, there were a couple movies that Yawn dragged me to see in our in the, in the our time of, uh, of movie-going friendship. Uh, and this was one of them. I also remember 54 being another one. Uh, this is, <clears> keep in <throat> mind, pre-Rotten uh, Tomatoes. You can't just... <laughs> Be immediately notified if a movie sucks. <laughs> I, you actually I, had to go see a movie. I, I don't disagree, but I, I do think it's interesting because there there is a connective tissue towards like I understand why. You, first of all, Velvet Goldmine, just to give context, was a Todd Haynes film actually that was supposed to be a, a Bowie biopic, but he couldn't get the rights to Bowie. That's right. So he sort of made this mashup pseudo Bowie. Mick Jagger love story kind of thing. Was Iggy Pomp, uh, Lou Reed, and David Jack. Bowie. Okay, but who? So McGregor was playing who exactly? What he was playing the Iggy he was Pop? the Iggy Pomp, yeah. Okay, and and uh, uh, he, he, but he, if you here's a photo, he looks more like Kurt Cobain. But, uh, <laughs> he does look like Kurt Cobain. That is an incredible <laughs> picture. But uh, like Velvet Goldmine is one of those movies that I think like what could have been right like. Todd Haynes has, has turned into and, and at the time was a tremendous filmmaker. And 
you know, had he been given the ability to be able to make a Bowie biopic in all of its glory, what would we have been given? I don't know the answer to that. But yeah. Christian Bale was in there. Christian, it's fun. yeah, he was a reporter. Oh, he was the yeah, he was like yeah. the straight man, right? He was like Who the, turned, the narrative like, yeah. connective right. tissue. Okay. But again, like it's a it's a it's a big soundtrack. Like it's a yeah. good soundtrack. Yeah. Um, and there's a lot of good stuff in it. It just doesn't all come together into a great film, but. Um, and a combination of – and they did get the rights to certain songs, I remember. They did. So you'd have like – there's like the Brian Eno needle in the camel's eye and stuff like that. And there's like some pulp. Uh, but some of them were uh, like covers. And then it's interesting right now because I'm looking and I noticed this because I did pull up this soundtrack on on Apple Music a while back. Uh-huh. And now for some reason uh, there – it's Tom York is credited for a bunch of songs, Lady Tron, 2HB and stuff. Really? But – there was like a made up band name before it wasn't Tom York wasn't the one credited for these songs. There was like Tom York was part of it. And ultimately I guess they were written by Tom York and I'm sure Tom York just wants sure. the royal, streaming wants royalties or whatever. Right. But I'm trying to remember what, what the original there was like, it was the name of the band in the movie was whatever it was. And it, wasn't certainly wasn't tom york so this might be an interesting time to talk very briefly about placebo right <laughs> a band that that had a moment yeah um i think that their 20th century boy their their cover of of that song in this movie is yeah. really solid it worked it was a big song and i yeah. think that they fucking kill the opening of cruel intentions which is another right. that we'll get to yeah. in a bit but like that needle drop uh over the cemetery of this really beautiful uh, helicopter shot over the cemetery and that song playing, you just – you it nails the tone. You know what movie you're in. Yeah. Um, they didn't really do a ton after this, but they really kind of had a moment in the, in the late 90s. It's an interesting band. And an interesting voice. Like I just really liked that lead singer's voice. Real nasally. But also just like felt, I don't know, interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so – there's there is that I, I think also um, just sort of in uh, I guess those are the two big Brit pop soundtracks right from from sort of the 90s mm-hmm. that we're talking about like yeah. it's train spotting it's it's velvet goldmine um, another big soundtrack from and this is sort of pivoting in a, in a different direction but uh, clueless was a really big soundtrack in 95 oh, yeah. again I owned it and yeah it was like very random <laughs> It was like Coolio, Mighty 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 Boston's Coolio. Not not to say that any of these artists are like not great artists, but it was just like, and it made sense in the movie and in the context. And and it was you know the the song would play uh, "Rolling with My Homies" at the party or whatever. And it's like in context, but if you just on paper you look at those songs, like how do these work together? It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. It also has the lightning seeds. Remember that. So let's. I'm sort of scrolling through this list, but let, let's talk about Magnolia because it feels like this is – We're going to 1999 now. Now we're in 99. Okay. But I, we'll, we'll jump around a little okay. bit. But I, I think that uh, – yeah, I mean it, it's – you know what? Let's hit pause on Magnolia. You're, you're making a good point. Let's jump around a little bit and get up to Magnolia because I want to focus on 99 at the end of this list. But um, Great Expectations had a really good soundtrack. It had that great Pope song. I don't know if you remember that moment in the movie um, when he's painting her and it's uh, Like a Friend is playing from uh, – from uh, this is – Hardcore? Anyway. No. Uh, just a flat out no from Jan. The Bodyguard, obviously a huge soundtrack right. in 92. Uh, really just one big song, but I guess a really, really big song. But it, it's the importance of a good soundtrack. I mean, that yeah. really helped carry that movie into, a, I'm sure, a much bigger movie. Uh, 100%. I mean, you're not going to have Whitney Houston in a movie and not have a killer song, but right. that just happened to just slay. And, and it reminds me of that uh, Robin Hood soundtrack. What was the big hit there? 
Oh, uh, I'll do. I will do everything. I'll do everything. Everything I do, I do for you. The the Brian Adams joint. And again, that's a classic '90s movie where that song single-handedly, I'm sure, like made. Like, oh, 100 percent. It's also uh, one of the the classic parentheses songs. You can see a lot of parentheses now in titles where right. it's like this, this that I won't do that. You know, uh, Batman Forever. Yeah, pretty great good soundtrack. soundtrack. Great soundtrack. Medium movie, pretty good soundtrack. Good that, Will Hunting. That U two is a good soundtrack. Yeah. <laughs> you, I mean, not an Elliot Smith fan, but right, right. Uh, but again, like a huge song. I remember, you know, I remember Elliot Smith singing his song. By himself with an acoustic guitar at the Oscars, and then Celine Dion is you know Jeez, yeah. is brought out, and you're just like, well, he's not going to win. There's a ton of good, I mean, great sort of hip hop soundtracks, Juice, mm-hmm. yeah. uh, Boys in the Hood, yeah. uh, that w- would be worth mentioning. Which mm-hmm. I think at the time were uh, you know the soundtracks that I wasn't as into, but looking back at a lot of the soundtracks now, I'm like, these are just phenomenal yeah. uh, lineups here. Yeah. So let's let's focus on '99 um, a little bit. I, the the two soundtracks that I sort of want to talk about. Well, there's a bunch I want to talk about, but let's talk about um, Cruel Intentions for a second. Right. Because um, that was a really big soundtrack. I believe – I know I owned it. I don't know if you owned it. I did not own it. Um, but it had a lot of – I'm just going to pull it up so I can um... – Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Uh, it, it it had a lot of really great songs on it. Um, I thought anyway. Uh, it 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 sort of, you know, you had uh you had placebo, every you every me, which was the song that plays at the top. Fatboy Slim is in it. Uh, Blur, Coffee and TV was on that soundtrack. Um, which I believe plays over uh the Kiss right. in the in Central Park between uh Sarah Michelle Gellar and Selma Blair. Um, Jan's favorite, Counting Crows. Um, does not like counting crows just for the record. Uh, Marcy playground was on there too. They were a band that only had one song as far as I can really tell. It's a good song. I I actually remember, and I know it's not on the soundtrack. Mm -hmm. Uh, there was a cardigan song. Yes. Love fools in the movie. Yeah. Which again, it's like, you can't take a big song that was like a big soundtrack song from and that's probably why it wasn't on the soundtrack yeah. because what what sound what was the big soundtrack love fool was on previous to that it was, well, uh, Romeo and Juliet. Romeo and Juliet, your yeah. favorite movie yeah just mine just yours um bittersweet symphony yes but, but again it, it, uh, also a great needle drop though i mean like it, in terms of like placement and, right and but as far know, as a movement. 99 like as far as a soundtrack that's representing 99, okay, you got Coffee and Tea, which is a big blur song, and, and Fatboy Slim, Praise mm-hmm. You. Mm-hmm. But it's weird that, you know, the Bittersweet Symphony and some of the other songs are not of 
that I mean, maybe of the era, but not of the year. Yeah, no, that's true. I I do think that it's yes. I think it's an interesting uh, sort of mixture of bands, and Amy Mann is on the soundtrack as well, right? Which I which, which very ninety nine artist, very ninety nine art. I mean, I still love Amy Mann. Did she but, have a, did she have like a big album that year? Uh, no, in fact, the album that that has the songs that inspired Magnolia, m- the movie Magnolia, didn't come out until the following year. Um, but I believe that uh, she let Paul Thomas Anderson hear those songs. And if I'm not mistaken, I think John Bryan produced that album and he was doing the score for Magnolia. So it's all very sort of oddly creatively incestual. So I think that I, I think that Paul Thomas Anderson was listening to her songs while he was writing Magnolia, which is how it all sort of came to be. I think this the, this is an interesting soundtrack to start with. And I think before we sort of – Magnolia? Or no, one? Cruel Intentions. Yeah. And mm-hmm. and because I think it is a – um, it, it is sort of like a classic movie soundtrack in terms of you know a mm-hmm. bit of a bit of the contemporary stuff, a bit of sort of stuff of the era. It's it's a mixture. It's sort of almost trying to please everyone. It's not very it's not sharp focused per se. True. Uh, but ninety nine, as good as it was for films, mm-hmm. maybe not such a good year for music. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're we will talk. Broadly. But I think it's more. I think it's important to talk about the music of the year, and mm-hmm. then and and how that sort of ripples out on the soundtracks. Because yeah, is there a single true standout like soundtrack from this year? I don't think so. Not from not from '99. That's what I'm saying. Yes, I would I would agree with you that that and that is emblematic. I think of of your bigger point, which is how diffused music was. Which it, is not to say that you know it, it's so much. Uh, you know, the the sort of Britpop thing has fizzled out. Grunge is long gone. Uh, and all this great sort of indie garage rock that's mm-hmm. about to happen in a few years isn't there yet. There's a little so, electronic influences going on. He, I mean, there's yeah. some great stuff happening, mm-hmm. but I think as far I think a lot of uh, there's a lot of like one hit wonders, like those weedist type bands, and just like you know, presidents of the United States of America type, like these like one one hit wonder bands are just like taking over. Uh, and then you know, there's the 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 pop music of the day. And so Hit Me Baby One More Time was like that started out the year. Mm-hmm. And then what, who were the other big pop artists of that? This? I mean, Destiny's Child is, is becoming okay. really big. Backstreet Boys, NSYNC, you know, it's, it's – it's, And it's, it's just gross, right? It's like that MTV like, – it is. Like it's not – because pop music today is, is so – it's in such a different sort of level. Like it's, it's, like I mean, it's I, respectable. It's good. Yeah. It's, it's pretty – it, it, it was like as if it was produced by like evil people. Like, was- well, I think that's where the grossness comes in. I, I and just just because I I think that I I completely understand people's love for that music. I I really don't. I I, I try not to judge. I think that pop music is it. I absolutely understand the need that it serves. I think that what what makes this moment you know gross is. Sort of this, uh, the corporatization of it, the the cookie cutterness of it, how how sort of uh, you know baldly commercial it was, and seeing all of these things get sort of mass produced and be so enormously successful. Now again, and we talked about this a little bit the other day, but this is the biggest pop would ever be ever again, right? The 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 sort of the tale of this in terms of. Britney Spears and NSYNC and Backstreet Boys, all of that, like we'll never see anything that successful ever in the music industry ever again, I don't think. That's interesting that you said. I mean, I think the current climate of popular music is right now very similar to what it was like in 99. 
And to me, 99 was waiting for a wave, waiting for something new to happen, waiting for like some disruptiveness to happen. It was technology that really disrupted music then. And I don't know what's going to disrupt music now. But in terms of what is popular and what's sort of dominating the airwaves, it's sort of similar now to what it was then where 99, like hip hop was really, that's when it was starting to peak. But it was still like guitar rock was still dominating the music festivals and everything else. But, you know, it was the the pop and the hip hop and the electronic, like you mentioned, are the three sort of biggest sort of music musical entities of, of 99, which I think they are right now as well. Uh, it, the electronica, which I guess it was called like in the late 90s. I, love it. Uh, I, I mean, to me, that was like the best part of the music that was happening in 1999. I would agree. Uh, in terms of something that felt sort of, you know, new and fresh and, and something that was happening. I mean, there was the, you know, the Chemical Brothers and the mm-hmm. Fatboy Slims that were sort of had started years before. Uh, but uh, I mean, I would say Bjork as well. Death in Vegas, I remember, was a big album that came out. Right past no, no, but that was it. That, but who pivoted into electronic music, right? And right. that was started. That was it started in a rock in '99, band. you know. Yeah. And, and um, yeah, I mean, I think that I think you were seeing Groove Armada. I remember all that, like that Armada. whole like chill more kind Chiba. of yeah, more Chiba. That's very '99, yeah. and that was 100. Uh, percent I do think that electronic music um, shares the, believe was in '99. It was a pivotal moment. But of I think auto-tune. that there's there's a real moment. The, I think that the reason that a lot electronic music perhaps took took such a became so big was because it had artists that had an opportunity to sit in front of a computer screen and deconstruct their music and sort of like I think that when you look at like Radiohead for instance and what they did post OK Computer which was sort of look inwards kind of break apart their band and and into sort of all these different pieces I think that that the computer for for lack of a better way of putting it gave that opportunity to a lot of musicians. I mean, I think you're simplifying how maybe music was made in 99. I don't think it's as simple. Like I, I think, the, uh, I think electronic music in 99 was a lot harder and uh, you know, there's a lot more bits and pieces to it than there are today where you can, I can literally sit down with my iPhone and make a song if I want. I guess to. what, what I'm, what I mean to say is, you know, I've, I've read many interviews with Bjork when she was doing homogenic between post and homogenic and how for her it was all about like recording her voice, sitting in front of her laptop computer and fucking with her own voice right. and seeing how she could sort of manipulate it in one way or another. And I think that that is an opportunity that was presented to her based on technology. Now, admittedly, it's grown in leaps and bounds, but I think that there are certain artists. She is a voice for all, for all intents and purposes. There's tons of instruments involved in what she does, but I think that that was sort of where I was coming from in terms of her. Yeah, sort of well, I guess break that th- I mean that's a good way of looking at. it. I mean, how technology will sort of influence the musical style right. of any you know era. Obviously, the '80s. You got all these new right. synths and sure. uh, and effects and things, and it, it obviously dictates how music sounds. And uh, right. I mean, the internet is sort of start, starting. The computer world is sort of starting to change the way that music is. Is certainly consumed by ninety nine. You know, Bowie was actually in nineteen ninety nine the first uh, artist, first like commercial artist to release uh, an an album for download. Really, uh, and it would take most people like twenty four hours to download <laughs> yeah. the album on their like a dial up yeah. connection. But uh, it was uh, hours was the yeah. kind of you know forgettable album that he put out then. But I remember know. he was one of the one of the big early adopters of sort of the whole website yeah. thing. You know what I mean? In terms of really kind of trying to make his music as available to people as possible. I, so I I bring up the big pop stars though. Yes. So Britney Spears, sure. arguably the biggest of that year. Mm-hmm. Was she represented in any soundtracks of 99? She was. 
Um, oh god damn it! I should know the name of this this uh, this movie. Um, oh man, uh, hold on one second. Or for that matter, really any like of of the manufactured. I, I just find it interesting that I was kind of trying to look like you don't necessarily see that uh, playing into a lot of movies of '99. Do you? Uh, I mean, Do I we think have the that, NSYNCs and stuff in movies at this point. Um, so, Drive Me Crazy, jeez, that was the name of the movie, uh, is the movie with Adrian Grenier yep. that uh, Britney's song is with the Teenage Witch. Was that she one? was not a teenage witch in this, but she is Sabrina the Teenage Witch. Oh, so she's witch. not actually. She's not actually a witch yeah. in this film. Um, but she, uh, I, I, and here's the thing. I have not seen Drive Me Crazy. We are going to do an episode with. Uh, You've never seen it? I've never seen it. It's I never made great. you watch it or something? Uh, you, that's one you didn't make me watch. Um, but uh, Brittany, I, th- basically there was a song on the soundtrack, uh, which they did a music video for that had clips from the movie. So to answer your question, they were trying to capitalize on the Britney thing. But um, I believe that this film didn't come out until later in the year. It came out in October. So by that point, Britney was gigantic and yeah. they were hoping to capitalize okay. on it. Um, but to answer your question, it does feel like pop music in its purest form wasn't on a ton of soundtracks. Yeah. And my guess is because it was really expensive to get oh, the music that's, that's a good, to. interesting point. Yeah. So my guess is that they were just like, how do we get adjacent to these things? Um, But I I do think that uh, just to pivot back to the Cruel Intention soundtrack, it, this soundtrack is trying to scratch a bunch of itches, which I think is interesting. Um, There is sort of this electronic folded into rock music thing. You know what I mean? I think that placebo is kind of doing that a little bit. I think that, I mean, Fatboy Slim is obviously, I don't really fully understand the Fatboy Slim of it all. Who was Fatboy Slim? And he was a DJ? He was Norman Cook. And okay. uh, he had previous success in a Brit band uh, like in the early 90s, the House Martins. Uh, and uh, Fatboy Slim, I mean, there are some great videos on YouTube of, of him. Kind of like you mentioned, like just sampling stuff. I mean, he was, he was mainly sample-based uh, electronic music. Uh, and uh, yeah. He had two big, big songs. At least. I mean, I do th- in my brain, Fatboy Slim and Moby are sort of synonymous. Yeah, but I know Moby that might not has, be fair. But. It's not. I mean, Moby has like a longer history; had been around longer and was doing more of like trance techno stuff. Right. Uh, Fatboy Slim's really coming up in that sort of big beat electronic era, and right. it, um, you know, and and again, his 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 uh, musical past was very pop. Okay. Well, I I think that um, let's talk about uh, another soundtrack. That I think is sort of American Pie. No, uh, go right. Oh, so are we creating a category of like soundtracks that are kind of trying, trying to be cool? Try, yeah, they're like they're they're trying to yeah. be the cool, and this is kind of like the closest we get in '99. <laughs> which neither of these soundtracks are like close to great. You know, there's no. some okay songs. I think I think you could put together a truly great soundtrack by pulling songs right. from a bunch of different soundtracks. Yeah. In fact, because I know that you and I. Uh, Which would be our playlist. We did we did our bit of homework trying to sort of look through lists of like the five hundred best soundtracks yeah. of the nineties or whatever. Yeah. Guess what year doesn't appear on any of those? <laughs> well, lists. not a lot. Ninety nine doesn't appear on a lot. No, no. I mean, there's there's basically uh, there's Cruel Intentions, there's Go and uh, Magnolia. Okay, and Magnolia, I would say. We'll talk about Magnolia in a second, right. but these two are trying to, as your point, they're yeah. trying to harness cool right. in a moment when. To your point earlier, it's hard to kind of really corral. It's it's kind of like 
herding cats to try to pull a bunch yeah. of songs together that also don't cost you a bazillion dollars. Go does seem, looking at it right now, there's the Fat Boy Slim, <laughs> yes. Lion Rock, Estero, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Eagle Eye Cherry, Len, <laughs> Nag- Natalie Imbruglia. No, but it, this yeah. this is very 99. Yes, yes. This, in fact, is more 99 than Cruel, Cruel Intentions, I, I would say. And it's uh, unfortunate. It seems like they got the less expensive songs from each artist, therefore not a great soundtrack. Yep. But they have the names. And again, that's what's going to sell soundtracks. Oh, a new de- No Doubt song. Like... <laughs> Silence, but yeah, that, I, no one's heard. You know, I, I mean, I, I remember I had this soundtrack. Um, I remember actually quite liking the the No Doubt song. Um, I thought it worked well in the movie. Um, Steal My Sunshine was such a huge song, and I, I, I still can't really tell you why. It's such it's a, a great, it's a great song. I don't get it. All right, anyway, I'm just Canadian. Saying. Is it? Yeah. Oh, maybe that's why it played so much. Yeah, I played a lot in Toronto. Yeah, that was <laughs> like it. You there are get away Canadian from content requirements, like you wouldn't oh, believe. Yeah, that's uh, a, and and uh, that music video sucked. It was made for like five dollars on like I don't know some beach in yeah. Florida or something. Yeah, but there, uh, yeah, there. So if we're if our category right yeah. now yeah. is quote unquote cool, cool soundtracks, soundtrack. there are a few that I dig up, dug up in my parents' basement. Okay, and again, these are soundtracks uh, that I'm, I was like, a I do not at all remember these movies or <laughs> probably never even saw them. Uh, and one of them was actually released on the, uh, the sort of record label of the year Astral works. I mean, it'd been around for like ever, but uh-huh. Astral works in the 90, like late nineties, early two thousands was like the label. And the soundtrack was splendor, which we've discussed. Yes. So pull that up, pull up splendor, yeah, pull the soundtrack. And again, this, I believe the movie itself was like a threesome knockoff. So like the fact that the movie was definitely that. Yeah. yeah. So it was like, but this to me is like a quintessential cool, yeah. um, yeah, yeah, uh, sort of album. So again, what they did, and I kind imagine a Moby remix of a Blur song, a Moby remix of a Blur song. But again, I think if I'm not mistaken, this is a way to get songs for maybe a better deal. Uh, if you get a remix of yes, popular yes. songs, so there's the Fat Boy Slim showing up. There's like some slow dive and and suede, some older songs, everything but the girl. And then you have, you know, Ayers, Kelly Watch the Stars remix, yep. all these Micronauts, Chemical Brothers. Yep. It's a it's a tremendously cool soundtrack. For a movie that like it didn't tonally fit this movie at all. It I'm was excited kind of, to watch this movie though. It was kind of like about clubbing and this sort of like, you know well, it's it's uh, Gregoraki. Right. So it's it's and it was his attempt to sort of try to find uh I mean I don't want to say try to find an audience, but pivot a little bit because his earlier stuff was super, super weird, right. aggressively visual, aggressively sort of uh, drug culture kind of underground vibe that right. I think was alienating people. So he tries to make a straight up – not a straight up, but a romantic comedy, if you right. will. And to to what effect? Uh, I don't know. I need to rewatch the film. I haven't seen it in a very long time. Yeah. I don't think it's going to be a great uh, movie, <laughs> but what yeah. a soundtrack. <laughs> And and I and I had. You gonna put a couple of these on the playlist? Yeah, we we, we should pick the good ones for sure. Yeah, yeah. but I, I think that it's it's yeah it's interesting to think about sort of I don't know I, soundtracks that try to harness cool. Another one that I think would make sense in this category came out the year before, but can't, can't hardly wait had that sort of vibe too. Third Eye Blind, Smash Mouth, Blink One Eighty Two, Busta Rhymes, Missy Elliott, yeah. Guns and Roses, obviously the the famous Paradise City uh, scene, but again, this was trying to do it in a, in a much more playful way. 
Like this movie is trying to sort of I really love Can't Hardly Wait. I think it's one of the one of the better teen comedies. And I think that it's sort of trying to kind of the one crazy night, have fun sort of vibe. And it still wants to have some cool songs on there, but it really just wants to have a good time. Um, which I think is which I think is commendable. But on the go soundtrack of it all, you know, I guess I sort of wonder first of all, I don't remember how successful the soundtrack was. I know I owned it, but I don't know that that's necessarily a metric of much. I remember I, I listened to the No Doubt I mean, song a bunch. Was, this but... was clearly a, a way that movies could make more money was f- yeah. from these soundtracks, yeah. you know? And, and so obviously it was a hugely important role. And again, this is probably the last time that this was possible for a movie to make money from <laughs> yeah, a soundtrack. Totally. So one uh, in the category of cool soundtracks, one more I, I would uh, I, I would need to mention. Yeah. And again, also, in my parents' basement, I'm like, what was this movie? I don't remember the movie. But I do remember the soundtrack very well. And I don't know if you guys are going to cover this movie because it's actually a British movie from 1999. We uh, will. Human Traffic. Is that on the radar? Yeah, it's on our radar. Okay. I've never seen it. Okay. What's on the soundtrack for Human Traffic? So this is a great representation of the <laughs> electronic uh, electronic uh, uh, music of the time. So, I mean, uh, Death in Vegas was a huge album. That Dirt was, a, was on the soundtrack. Uh, and then CJ Boland and of course Fatboy Slim so again Fatboy Slim appearing on lots of soundtracks which we've already discovered this year so huge artist for 99 Uh, but the Armin Van Helen what's the name Helden and and all those guys so it's a very dancey soundtrack and I imagine just judging by the cover art of Human Traffic I think it was trying to be some train spotting type situation don't remember it's a double CD double CD that's huge (laughs) Um, the other, there's another person on the soundtrack that I think is worth maybe talking about for a second, which is William Orbit. Right. Oh, so he does huge. a bunch of stuff in '99. Right. He does Thirteen with Blur, but he also does Madonna. The Madonna album the, the previous year in '98. Which, but that mo- that song mm-hmm. "Ray of Light" mm-hmm. also appears in Austin Powers, and it, and is a weird kind of connect connection. And again, it kind of makes that film right. I mean, not that that film needs any help at that point. Yep. But I remember that connection of that Madonna video and uh, Austin Powers seemed just like synonymous for some reason. He's – yeah, he has a very big um, – so he does Madonna in 1998. Uh, he does Blur's 13. Uh, he does a Ricky Martin Madonna song. He's really in with Madonna basically. He produces a bunch of her stuff. He does the the song for um, Austin Powers 2, the Beautiful Stranger song that she did. Remember the – are we talking about the same thing? Wait, is that what I'm talking about? You think, you're thinking of that. They did a song called Beautiful Stranger yeah, in, yeah, in, in Austin Powers 2. Right. Yes. I, I thought you said Austin Powers 1, and I wasn't sure if you were referring to this. Don't sorry, my... What came out in 99? Austin Powers 2. Yeah. That's oh, what okay. I'm obviously done. Okay. Uh, he does some U2 stuff as well, um, and then just more Madonna. He's you know he's an interesting guy who has a really big moment in, in 98, 99. But, um, so let's let's pivot to, to Magnolia um, and sort of talk about – it's a different category of soundtrack, right? It's not trying to be cool so much as it's no. it's a slightly it's a slightly um, more esoteric or or specific to the audience it is going for. Um, but I, you know, I remember this was my introduction to Amy Mann. I didn't I didn't know of her until until Magnolia came out. Um, but it she just I don't know like she. And that movie just works so perfectly well together in terms of – I mean part of it has to do with the fact that she inspired the movie. But um, her voice and and these very sort of um, 
you know, she's a storyteller, I guess is a better way to put it. She's not, you know, she's really kind of lyrically taking you down a path with, with an individual as opposed to sort of a vibe. You know what I mean? I think that a lot of these soundtracks are trying to elicit a vibe. You know what I mean? The vibe of the movie or the, the, the you know, what cool artists can we get on this soundtrack? Right. That doesn't, that's not what this movie is doing. Um, this movie is very much sort of, you know, telling a story. And a lot of the characters in her songs potentially seem to manifest in this movie. Um, and I feel like Amy Mann does the the grunt work of the soundtrack, but yes. not the heavy lifting. And that definitely goes to the Harry Nelson track one, which just made the movie. I mean, that just, it worked so perfectly. Well, yeah. I mean, it literally, the entire song is the first five minutes of the right. movie. It's, it's pretty incredible. And I think it was attached to a trailer as well. It was. I think that's yeah. how we sort of were introduced to the sort of the, the, the movie. So I definitely remember that. Uh, yeah. It's, it's, and you know, she's nominated for an Oscar for, for save me, um, the song she wrote. And this is a question and I, I don't know if you know the answer to it, but I don't really understand this distinction that the song has to be written like the song can't exist prior to the film in order to be nominated for an Oscar. So it's like this, it's, it's a weird sort of, and they can get a little bit strange about it, but either way she wrote save me for the movie and thus she could be nominated for an Oscar for it. She lost to um, Tarzan. She lost to uh, Phil Collins. Not even the toy story Newman. Nope. She lost to, yeah, to Phil Collins, but uh, yeah, it's kind of brutal. She's, I mean, I think she should have won. Phil, Even Col- the- Phil Collins is the worst. I don't know about that. I, I thought lot, that's what we were talking about. There are a lot of Tarzan fans out there. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, but Tarheads. Tarheads. But uh, yeah, it's, it, it, it was, you know, it's a great – the Magnolia soundtrack is, is fantastic. Um, you know, Mondo put it out on a, on a really beautiful vinyl special edition that, that I got a couple years ago. I don't know why you're shaking your head no, at that. No, it's hands. You, well, you did both. Anyway, um, point being, uh, I don't know. I think it's I think it's a really special, interesting soundtrack. It's definitely the one that that from '99 sort of jumps out at me the most. Um, it's certainly my favorite. Uh, there are a couple others that I want to kind of touch on real quick, just in terms of you know, you had Man on the Moon, which was uh, composed by REM. They had a they had a song on there as well, um, which I think is an, an interesting movie. I'm mm-hmm. excited to talk about that film and sort of the Andy Kaufman of it all, but. Um, you know, R.E.M. obviously having written that song, Man on the Moon, that was an automatic for the people, which I think came out in, I don't know, 95, maybe? Maybe later, I don't know. But uh, you have that. You've got uh, Garbage on the World is Not Enough soundtrack. Um, the score is just feels like a, just a basic James Bond score, but I think that it's one of the better Bond songs. I think they – I mean, you can make that face all you want. I, mean, I, but I, I, I make faces. It doesn't mean that I'm judging. You're definitely judging. No, I am. Uh, I think it, the reason I think it's one of the better Bond songs is because it elicits the sort of the sweep and the sort of, you know, uh, ludicrous qualities of Bond. Um, the kind sort of, of definitely the hyperbole th- and dramatics of the it. The Shirley Bassey kind of throwback right. feel to it. That's, uh, yeah. Yeah, I know we're not going down a Bond rabbit hole here, but and I'm not a big Jack White fan, as you know. But that—that's your favorite Bond song. I love that song. That's I, I, I know. Crazy with uh, is it Alicia Keys. Alicia Keys. I know everyone hated Quantum that song. Songs? I'm like, I know, and it was like not a good movie either. Like I couldn't believe it. That that yeah, song to me. None of this makes sense. You're Sorry. not a Jack White fan. No. Uh, you're not a James Bond fan. Hey, have you guys done Ghost Dog yet? Yes. Because that's an important soundtrack to talk RZA, about. RZA, yeah. yeah. Yeah, great. And we talked a lot about it You got a lot of Wu-Tang and uh, RZA separately, individually in there. It's a great score. Yeah. It's it's a great score. Uh, there's not a ton of it. 
And by that, I mean, I don't think he wrote a lot of music. Right. It's repeated pretty yeah. consistently, but yeah. it's, 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 fantastic. it works though. In terms it works of incredibly well. What locks, you know, the, the music that locks with the visual really well. For sure. That, that makes it. Um, one other soundtrack, the soundtrack came out in 99. So we have an opportunity to talk about the soundtrack to Rushmore. Um, it's funny because that is, I, I, I thought that came out in 99. And when you look up the soundtrack, it does say, what? so the, 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 the movie came out in 98, okay. or at least it had a limited release in yeah, 98 okay. and then it got expanded in 99, which is why we won't be covering it as a film on our oh, podcast. The soundtrack. But the soundtrack um, is 99. Huge, so huge soundtrack. Huge soundtrack. And, and also like, you know. Wes doesn't do it. Wes Anderson doesn't do it as much as he used to, but this is sort of the quintessential Wes Anderson soundtrack. Absolutely. You know what I mean? I, 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 as much as I might like Royal Tenenbaums a little bit more as a film, I think that this soundtrack is a better soundtrack than the, than the oh, Royal yeah. Tenenbaums soundtrack. I mean, it's it's this weird like mod throwback. Uh, it was that creation song making time was like that was like the whoa like yeah the cool sort of staple to the trailer and everything i yeah. think was it that was the yep. trailer mm-hmm. uh and it worked so well and it was just like the perfect amount of sort of nostalgic kooky weird sort of you know uh yeah it's 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 a tremendous it's a tremendous soundtrack it also feels like uh the the moment that that happens i believe in the film is the moment when um max and uh and mr bloom are at logger uh, heads with one another and the bees when he's when he when he basically um when max floods uh, mr bloom's right. room with bees and they start playing pranks on each other that ultimately ends with max cutting his brakes <laughs> <laughs> but but it it's just it's a perfect perfect um uh, music cue and 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 a, and a fantastic soundtrack yeah i mean i i don't know that Wes Anderson's really ever had a soundtrack since or that he's even tried to kind of like bottle that lightning again in terms of like trying to make a quote unquote cool score at this right. point. Like it's now mostly uh, orchestral and, and, and uh, uh, classical music and what have you, which is, which is fine. Did Election have a similar soundtrack in 99? Was it kind of also throwbacky and it, it, I'm, Am I remembering I'm it up right wrong. now? I, I don't. I don't really remember that soundtrack. It's not. Okay. It's not something that 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 uh, jumps out at me. Um, so it's an MTV Films movie election. Mm-hmm. Um, they basically put out a whole bunch of very very interesting teen films: the uh, Varsity Blues, um, the Wood uh, Election. Um, it's a very interesting sort of uh, group of things. But they the soundtrack is all in '99. It's all Those 99. movies. Wow. Um, it's an interesting – I don't know a lot of these. Uh, are you looking up the – do you have the election soundtrack in front of you? I was actually just curious about The Wood. Did you guys recently do that? Yeah. And that that, that was a pretty good soundtrack. Right? It is a good soundtrack. It's a good movie. Yeah. Uh, I don't know a lot of these. I mean you've got Space Hog. Uh, you've got The Commodores, Donovan. It's a it's an interesting uh, – So the question is what is the quintessential 1999 soundtrack? What, what – uh... I mean, I think it might be Cruel Intentions. Right. If we have to pick one, the one that you sort of point to and say, like, this is the moment, which is weird because it's it's a it's a weird it's not a bad soundtrack, it's just a weird soundtrack. Right. I I I, it's maybe I don't know. I mean, you said go, and I think I said go. Well, just in terms of the list of of artists, I think it is definitely the most nineties list of artists, but the songs themselves aren't particularly emblematic of that if that makes any sense like i think the cruel intentions is more indicative 
sonically. But I so I did receive a text earlier from Kenny, oh, okay. and he wanted me to mention his top pick. Uh, which which we haven't brought up, which is of course uh, the soundtrack to Wild Wild West. <laughs> wiki wiki Wild Wild. Well, I think this is a perfect segue <laughs> to uh, not good soundtracks, right? Okay, because um, right. I think that. So, do you, you were obviously we saw Wild Wild West in the theater together. I remember seeing it in the I theater. Was very together. excited about that movie. You were very excited. Yeah, about yeah, that I was movie. very excited about the idea of some sort of steampunk version mm-hmm. of this. Uh, mm-hmm. It looked hey. On paper, that looked pretty good. We saw it at the Uptown One you know, when that still existed. Kevin Klein used to be a player. <laughs> I don't think Kevin Klein's the reason this film didn't work. <laughs> um, I remember we saw it at the Uptown One, and you remember uh, you could sit at the very front of the Uptown One and actually put your feet on uh, yeah, on yeah. the stage yep. of it. Mm-hmm. And I remember sitting there, and they're in the desert for what feels like fucking eternity yep. with those those collars on. Right. And I was just like, "What is this movie? How? When will this end?" Yeah. Um, but it does almost feel like a movie that they had a song first. They were like, he's a cowboy. And, you know, we can get the sample to the Stevie Wonder song. And, like, it, it almost felt like a movie that somehow grew off of a really big song. I mean, that – I think that was, like, as far as Billboard is concerned, yeah. the biggest song of the year. Like, yeah. God. Again, yeah. this kind of goes to show 99. Not a great music year. I will say this, Not though. Not a great music you, year. Everyone who's listening to this, uh, if you get a chance, go onto YouTube and watch, I believe it's Will Smith's performance at either the MTV Music Awards or Movie Awards or the Billboard Awards, some sort of award where he's dancing to this song in the most apathetic contractual obligation dance he just looks so fucking wow. out of it and he's just like i don't want to do this this is not worth it this movie's not worth it yeah. but it, it's so it's right because right. he's making aladdin now and everything will be everything's fine. gonna be fine it all came full circle <laughs> it's like he learned not to embarrass himself <laughs> and he has learned from his mistakes yeah, yeah. and absolutely blue face or not be fine yeah. uh so i think I, I want to just talk real quick about another trend a not great trend which was TV soundtracks. Yep. There's, um, there's a big one that came out that year. Which was? The D. <laughs> Dawson's Creek? Yeah, man. Yeah, it was a very big one. I don't – sorry. The way I casually mentioned that was as if I knew that. <laughs> the D? I, no, not that – but I, I did have to look that up in order to give you that fact because I did look up TV soundtracks of the same year. And apparently that was the big release of the year. I mean, how could it not be? Six pence, none the richer. Six boy. <laughs> Paula Cole. Chantel Travis. I, mean... I can't say it. <laughs> Yeah, she's great. Was uh, yeah, it was a really big soundtrack. I would also say that this what was was with like teen (laughs) comedies and like this weird adult contemporary music that like a forty year old like you know suburban mom with a glass of Chardonnay at three o'clock in the afternoon should be listening to. It doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. Like the Paula, like the whole show, man. How is this like a huge, huge hit? Huge hit. I mean, what's interesting too is um, remember we started watching it together. Was it the show that yes. we'd like that in Felicity? Was it like a joke? Like I would come to your house and we would watch Dawson's yes. Creek. Was it like a joke at the, the time? in the beginning? Right, and then, and it, then gets, it, became, it, got, <laughs> it got real serious. <laughs> Because we were old enough. It'd be one thing if we were like 14 and it was kind of edgy to be watching Dawson's Creek. Yeah. When you're like 19 and watching <laughs> Dawson's Creek with another dude like in his basement, that's fucked up. Yeah. That is we loved fucked it. up. The, I mean, I don't think we got much past season two because I don't really remember much past it. Right. But, I, you know, it was a big it was a big show. Yeah. 
Uh, I mean, I guess every generation, I mean, the follow-up generation show is the OC, I would say. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, I don't know what it is now, with maybe Riverdale or something like that. It might like, be. They're, they're sort of like, that show has to, and of course, before, this was Nano So I mean, yeah. this this show has Shows to exist yeah. uh, one way or another, and has to be like for the attractive white children, you know? So. I mean, I'm, I'm going to assume as well that the soundtrack speaks also to a slightly aged up demo, right? So, you, you mean, we were 19 watching Dawson's Creek. I'm assuming that there are people in their 20s that are watching it as well. Jessica just like Simpson. Jessica Simpson. It's also interesting, Just and this is a little bit inside baseball, but I think it's, it's a little interesting, or hopefully people will find it a little interesting. So Paula Cole was not the first choice for... Uh, for yeah, no shit. That song <laughs> sucks. People, that do you have any idea how rich Paula Cole is off of that song? <laughs> but uh, it was supposed to be "You'll Learn" by Alanis Morissette, and she turned down. She did not want to to have her song be on the credits. The reason I bring this up is we are now in an interesting time where a lot of our favorite older shows are now streaming on various services. Right where you know you got your library titles if people want to rewatch these shows. I don't think the D is though. It is. Uh, but they won't, and by they, I mean the studios will not pay for the music rights. Oh, wow. So what you've got now is this, that Paula Cole song is not on the Because, I mean, that was a huge part of the show. That's the, the th- I that, don't want to win. That's, I, and that's kind of my point here, which is I'm trying to, like, it's very hard for me to watch these shows now. It actually takes you out of it because these right, songs right. are so fused into it. Yeah. So, you know, you've got... You know, Felicity, which is on, I believe it's on Hulu. And again, like, Jan's going to roll his eyes at this, but Sarah McLaughlin's a big part of Felicity. And when you when you can't get these artists, it, it, just, it, it really is tricky and it does take you out of it. And it, and it doesn't make – there is a reason these songs were picked. And they were picked because they were big songs at the time or they became big songs at the time because of it. And when you remove that from it, it really it tarnishes the shows. This is all a long way of saying that these studios should cough up the extra cash, whatever it is. I don't imagine that it will hurt them in the bigger, greater scheme of things, and just pay for them because they're paying a musician. They're paying somebody, right? They're just paying them less money. It is so unfortunate that, uh, you know, and even with, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Conan O'Brien, and he's mm-hmm. uh, they've been doing an amazing job of, I think, putting out 25 years of clips and things, mm-hmm. and that they're putting all this content online. And again, it's the the stuff they can't put out is the the musical stuff, the the yeah. performances and stuff, and it gets all these rights. And I just it's it's such a shame, you know that. Uh, well, it's a shame because I also feel like it's a little short sighted. Like there's a part of me that feels like I understand that right now, bang for your buck, you want to get as much cash as you can, right? But if you were to put this stuff out there at a discounted rate or whatever it is, yeah. it would get people to start listening to that music again. They would, I mean, you know, all those Paula Cole fans that could be out there. Right. But you know, I think there, I really do Cole think heads. there is something to, Cole, Cole has as, as they call them. Uh, it, it just it feels very short sighted to me. And and the 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 question is, are they are the are the musicians asking for too much money? I don't know what they're asking, so it's really hard for me to say. But in a vacuum, I do feel like there's there's a missed opportunity here. All that being said, you know, you've also had a couple other uh, TV show soundtracks. You got your your Ally McBeal, which was very big uh, in '99 um, with Vonda Shepard and what have you. Um, you know, that was sort of she was kind of the the Greek chorus of that show, so she was more narratively folded into that show. So um, I imagine that it's harder to sort of, I guess my point is, Vonda Shepard's probably getting very rich off of Ally McBeal. Um, Sopranos had a huge uh, impact on the, you know, music selection. And that was season one was Mm -hmm. 99. It was, yeah. Yeah, I mean, Freaks and Geeks came out in 99 as well. So, you know, that was a a big show. Had a lot of 80s, 70s, 80s music in it, if I'm not mistaken. Um, So yeah, I mean, it was, it was, uh, an interesting time in that regard as well. 
So why don't we pivot now to sort of the the greater 99 and just talk about like music in 99, some of our favorite artists or, or favorite albums that came out around then. Sure. <laughs> you come very close to the mic. Um, so I think that uh, there's, a, there's a couple really interesting albums that came out in 99 or ones that I think that you and I will want to talk about. I think that, um, you know – just to be clear to our listeners, you know, we're going to do deep dives into all of this stuff uh, in future episodes as well in terms of either doing a, a, an entire episode dedicated to an album or episodes dedicated to music videos and what have you. We're not going to do all of that right now, but there's an opportunity since I have you on here, um, you know, to to talk about some of his favorite music from that time and uh, and we can sort of uh, – we can run with that. The first album that comes to mind – I mean, go ahead. No, I was I, – I, honestly, I make facial expressions. They're usually not anything to do with okay. what we're talking about. Okay. Um, Beck's Midnight Vultures is an album that uh, I think both of us really like. It's our album. It's our album. Um, I didn't see him tour this album. Uh, I heard rumors that the tour didn't go great. This album has sort of an interesting thing, right, which is he does um, – Obviously, he's got Mellow Gold that comes out. Then he does One Foot in the Grave. He basically alternates between doing right. sort of one for them and one for me in a weird sort of way. I don't see it that way, but I know what you mean. He does He does something that's maybe a little bit more uh, commercially, quote-unquote, viable or a little bit more sort of like broadly commercial. And then he does something that's a little bit more esoteric. But I, don't, I, don't, I wouldn't say I – think, I think he still does that for him. Okay, but my my yes, I think I think both of them are he enjoys are the rewarding. overproduction of a pop album just as much as he enjoys an acoustic guitar. Like I, I think that's I wasn't just him. I wasn't suggesting yeah. he doesn't enjoy both modes. I think that one mode has right. the potential of being more commercially successful than the sure. other. Um, but that being said, he does Mother Gold. He does One Foot in the Grave. He does Odelay, which is obviously an enormous. And then he success. makes a fucking Prince album. Well, no, he does Mutations, Mutations, and then he does a Prince album. So Mutations is sort of his like. I don't even know what you would call it, but he's sort of a little bit more acoustic. Uh, Nigel Godrick did the did the uh, production, um, and then he does Midnight Vulture, which is essentially a Prince album. Did any of those songs appear in a soundtrack? I don't believe they did. No. Um, but here's the question. Yeah, or not a question so much as. Odelay is an enormous success, right? And he and he takes the risk of doing mutations next and not following up with uh, with Midnight Vultures, which might have been more successful had it come directly after Odelay. But he does that, and then I have a friend who went to see. I think he played Skydome for for Midnight Vultures. If I'm not mistaken. What? No way. I mean, you can look it He's up. He's not that big. I, he might have opened for someone. Yeah. I don't know. Okay, okay, that makes sense. But either way. He was like pissed off that the audience wasn't really into it. And he kind of like, I don't think he cut his set short, but like he just wasn't feeling like people were into it, which is kind of the way that the album was received a little bit. Like people didn't love this album when it came out. And I just wonder whether or not he was sort of like, I don't know. I, I really love the album. I think the album has grown in its esteem. You know, it's it's approaching its its 20 year anniversary. I think it, it's in a couple months. Maybe he puts out some sort of deluxe edition of it. I don't know. But it does feel like the album was not received as well as he would have thought. Now, it should also be said that he follows Midnight Vultures up with Sea Change. And I think he was going through some personal stuff. Right. So, you know, it's, it's, it's certainly possible that that was part of it too. But all that being said, what sort of influences do you think are on this album? 
I mean, is it? We're talking about midnight vultures yeah. here mm-hmm. specifically. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you hear huge prints in the '80s, right. sort of electro stuff happening. Right. Uh, I, there's like a lot of samples, and and I think a lot of them are like uncleared, like craftwork samples and stuff, which you actually got in trouble for <laughs> later on. Like, which is like, what are you doing? You can't do that. You're back. You can't. You know. That's kind of uh, But uh, I mean, the synth breakdown to yeah. some of these songs are incredible, and they they a huge. Uh, you know, everything from like you know old school hip hop to um. To like some of it sounded very contemporary pop, and he's kind of taking the taking the piss out of it. I mean, purposely. Do you think that it's his most overtly produced album? If that makes sense, like it, it's the one that feels like it has the most bells and whistles. Am I crazy when I say that? I don't know. I mean, a lot of people hear songs and they right. they think something sounds so overproduced right. or over, or, you know, and and that's not always the case. Right. I mean, I think there's a lot going on on this album. Uh, but I don't think, uh, you know, a song like Deborah on the album, which, you know, has recently be- become a hit uh, yeah. from a soundtrack, Baby Driver, yeah. Baby Driver uh, in itself is probably as complex as any of the other songs. You know, it's just like a slow to. And in fact, that song was apparently, uh, he got in trouble for it, it, that being too close to like uh, David oh, really? Bowie's Win. If you do a side by side comparison, very similar. Interesting. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if this is. I, this is the more or less produced sounding Beck okay. album. I it's, think, I think he's just having some fun. I, that, that I agree with. Um, and perhaps the most fun in a long time. It, it, it feels, I mean, we've talked a little bit about how his last album colors was maybe the most sort of overtly kind of letting loose and having fun. But uh, it, it's, it, it, I think he's a fascinating uh, musician. We talked about him a little bit yesterday, um, but that it's, it's incredible that he's still relevant. You know, he just put out a new song uh, a couple weeks ago, which is great. He's a chameleon and he finds ways to keep himself relevant, um, which is incredible. You know what I mean? I I do think that we will look back on him. We already are. But he's, you know, uh, a figure that I think is going to have many, many, many more albums to come. And I think he's I think he's going to continue to do weird shit until he's old and gray. Yeah, but there's no doubt that Midnight Vultures was him and his I wouldn't yeah. say peak, but in his prime. I mean, now his powers, I now think. he's good for him. He's doing very well and yeah. very successful. But yeah. I mean, he's not. He's not a uh, no. What's the what's trendsetter or uh, or sort of not, zeitgeisty? Yeah, I mean, he's just yeah. like he's past his actual moment. Yeah. And and I hope he continues to make records. The irony of the of it being that he won a Grammy, you know, a yeah, couple and, years ago. And even like uh, I know, Flaming Lips was another album that yeah, you wanted to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I do want to talk about that. Uh, which you know, which again was kind of like a, a, a breakthrough record. Uh, but also, this is a band that had already at this point been around for like fifteen years. You know, they've yep. been around for a long time already. Well, so their their first big hit was the jelly song right yeah um which is going on vaseline no it's like she uses jelly or something like that i don't remember what it's called it was off of their first album i think vaseline was in the title of the album but all that being said that's their first album that's their first big hit and that's at least 10 years previous to soft bulletin right right? um but then i would also say too like soft bulletin it was called she don't use jelly there you go uh soft bulletin as great an album as it is, and I do think it's a, a, a perfect album. At the time, you know, did you feel like it it, it was as respected in '99 as it has been in sort of hindsight? Again, 
as I was cleaning out my parents' CDs, I, <laughs> and uh, I think uh, we, for some reason uh, we have some CDs in our car now. I think they were just been uh-huh. digging them out of uh-huh. the uh, out of the, and, and they're just in one of those CD jackets. And mm-hmm. I, I did put that album on recently, and I remember how much I adored that album. It's amazing. Kind of like you know, it's kind of like the pet sounds of of this era, you know. And there's a great Pitchfork does one of those great mm-hmm. uh, breakdowns of the album, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a sort of song by song breakdown. And I don't know, maybe that is one of my top ten albums of all time. Like it's it's so great. That and, first sample, that the the strings of uh, uh, Race for the Prize, yeah. it's just yeah, it's it's a tremendous album. It's it's also they're a band as well that you know they they followed up uh, Soft Bulletin with uh, Yoshimi Battles the Pink Robots, mm-hmm. which I also adore. Um, and then they've just spun off the earth as far as I'm concerned. Like right. they've they, they have not released anything since that I can even remotely hold right. on to. Um, and I, I you know, but again, it's 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 past their moment. I, I, for me, 1999 was I, electronic music was big. Yeah. And I think that was sort of uh, I was myself exhausted of like the Britpop that I'd been listening to for so many years before that, and it was sort of. Uh, Something nice and, and and new. I mean, that was the first big La Tigra album came out, and yeah. Chemical Brothers Surrender, which is like arguably mm-hmm. their best album. That Death in Vegas uh, Contino mm-hmm. Sessions album came out. Um, Gus Gus from, mm-hmm. I from Iceland. That was a big one. Groove Vermont, Fatboy Slim. I really liked back then. Uh, so that was like one sort of pocket of music I was I was loving. Uh, and then there's like this whole other like um, uh, so much great hip hop that looking back at it now, I just wasn't really listening to it then. You know, but like uh, o- ODB's like Got Your Money and like Mariah Carey and Jay-Z's Heartbreaker came out that year <laughs> and uh, Still Dre came out, mm-hmm. Snoop and Dre. I mean, there's like huge Mustaf, uh, M- MF Doom, uh, Q-Tip, huge albums came out. That, Lauren Hill uh, yeah. came out that year. Yeah. I mean, The Miseducation. Uh, well, it was 98, but she had songs in that. Okay. X-Factor well, was 99. But yeah, yeah the X-Factor was 99. Yeah. Jamiroquai's Canned Heat came out. Mm-hmm. So, so it was what I thought it, – was maybe not the greatest year in music ninety nine. Uh, you know, looking looking deep into it, there's some there's some interesting things. And again, this is right before everything is about to change. You know, where people are maybe for their last year in their life as well buying CDs. Like that's it. Mm-hmm. Everything changes. There's a new gatekeeper in town. It's no longer the record label. It's it's Napster. It's, it's the internet. Yeah. It's the internet. Yeah. Uh, and and music. It's it becomes the wild west for the next like decade where music's just free. You can just take whatever you want. Yeah. Uh, labels crumble. All of a sudden these like tiny indie labels sort of emerge. Um, so it was kind of like the the last years of excess. And then there's like terrible music. Yeah. On top of all this, yeah. there's the pop stuff, but then there's like a layer of worse music, which mm-hmm. was like the new metal, which was, uh-huh. and again, I don't offend listeners if you're into it, but shame on you if you're listening <laughs> to Limp Biscuit. Nobody should be listening yeah, to Nookie, Limp Biscuit. Fucking huge song. No, Limp Biscuit, the corn, orgy, yeah. Papa Roach, that all kind of came together in yeah. that same era. Yeah. New Metal Creed was still a thing. That was like a remnant of, uh, <laughs> I, I don't, you know, I don't want to shit on bands, but come on. <laughs> I mean, this is still a, a remnant of grunge, like yeah. ten years later, with like a Christian rock element, and uh, yeah, yeah, it's not great. It's not a great look, and, but but huge. Yeah, like so, like who am I to say that these are bad bands? They're like selling out tons of stadiums. Kid Rock is making cutting his teeth at this point. So here's here's a question, not to get too uh, in the weeds on on sort of a technological level, but it does feel like we're in this. There's sort of this moment where, to your point, music's being stolen, right? Pretty much right, left, and center. Um, Not yet. We don't have the well, technology I mean, yet. Yeah, but two, 2005, 
I mean, maybe in 2001, we're stealing music left, right, and center, but like 99 or technology. But it doesn't, to your point, from a bandwidth perspective, it's it's still taking ages to do this, right? Right. But then you get to a place where entire albums, right, are downloaded through, you know, you send it or any other sort of like file right. sharing software, and you can actually do it relatively quickly. That's when sort of that's when they really start to the I imagine the labels start to really start to shit themselves. LimeWire and these things or Napster, right? Na- and but that's Napster like a song down. by song thing. It could take you a fucking day to get an album. But that's what you wouldn't you just select a bunch of things and then they would just be like slowly downloading. Well, yeah, you'd go you'd, you'd go, go about, about your day. day. <laughs> you come back and maybe you'd have. I mean, it. it's insane. That, I mean, could you imagine telling a nineteen-year-old Phil yeah. like back then you can just like pick up your telephone, like anything you want, and it and Technically, yeah. it's legal. It shouldn't be the way that we listen to music. We all like subscribe to something. Well, but, that, but that's I guess that's that's sort of my bigger question here, which is I do think it has staunched the bleeding a little bit. Now, I've aged out of maybe perhaps the the demo of people that are stealing music, but it does feel like well, who's stealing music? But, but that's that's my point, it's, right? It's they almost just, like more of a pain in the ass. But in that's fact, but your that's, phone can't even like necessitate an MP3 file. Like it, like iPhones are like clunky, and you can't even have your iTunes list on your phone anymore. So you couldn't. You have to do it their way yes i i understand i'm i'm speaking more to they found a way it took them about a decade but they figured out a way to sort of make music available to people get them to pay for it to a certain degree in terms of a a subscription of some sort they still sell albums I'm, I'm not sure who's buying these albums. Well, but, vinyl sales are through the roof. Right. I'm I'm buying vinyl, and it comes with a digital download, so I feel like I'm getting the best of both worlds. But all of this is a, a way of saying I Didn't can't I believe – Who does the digital download? Like, Do you do that? Yeah. Right. Anyway. Um, <laughs> but where, I don't even know where that music goes now. Where do you like – It's down- on my computer. Okay. That's moot. My point is I can't believe it took them as long as it did to figure this out. And I think that when you think about the colossal amount of money that was lost in that sort of that wasteland of years where they were just like, you know, where you had like Metallica suing people and you're just like, guys, like there has to be a way around this. Like why are, why did it take them 10, 12 years to figure out a well, way to do Well, you can't say it's them, but they didn't do anything. And that's the problem. I mean the record labels who in 1999 are just running the world, yeah, yeah. printing money. Selling us pieces of plastic that for years we were promised were going to come down in price. Never that see, CDs were – but you know, in the heyday, CDs were up to about 20 bucks a pop. It's crazy. For, for one song that maybe you wanted. You know, like yeah. how many threesome soundtracks did I need to own kind of thing to get a couple <laughs> of good songs? Uh, so, you know, and that's, that's what happened. I mean yeah. there was a reaction. So you say they figured out a way. No, someone else figured out a way. They should have figured it that way. They should have changed the model themselves, and they didn't. They were greedy, and and yeah. record label got fucked over. Yeah, I guess. I my my feeling. I mean, artists got fucked over. The artists are the ones that really got hosed. Like that. That's the thing when I think about the fact that, and this this comes back to like, why do people buy music? Well, I I try to buy in some form or another my favorite ten albums of the year just because I want to support the artist. Now, sometimes I go and see them live and I feel as though that's enough of a supporting or whatever the case might be. But, you know, I want to give them my money. They're making a thing that I love and we should be supporting that. And that's why nine bucks a month for me to have access to millions of songs feels like we're not necessarily doing that. But um, it is what it is. I want to talk a little about, um, we're going to, I mean, as I mentioned earlier, we're going to do sort of a deep dive into music videos that came out in 1999. But the mm-hmm. one that jumps out at me uh, is Chris Cunningham's uh, 
Bjork video for All is Full of Love, the the robot sex video. Do you remember this video? Was that a big one? Uh, it, it was for me. Um, just because I think it's still the special effects and what they were able to accomplish. Chris Cunningham did a bunch of music videos in 99, did some Aphex Twin music videos, deeply disturbing music videos for the most part. But um, he then did uh, – he was supposed to do um, an adaptation of um, – Oh my God, the uh, Neuromancer, the William Gibson book, but that didn't uh, that didn't happen. Uh, but he's he's a fascinating filmmaker, and 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 as I said, we're going to do a deep dive into music videos on this podcast, you know, in future months. But uh, it's just one that jumped out at me. Do you have any that jump out at you that you sort of remember? Yeah, well, I had to sort of pull up a list. Yeah. Uh, and was it Spike Jones that did the Let Forever Be Chemical Brothers video? I mean, that was that was that's huge. Michelle Gondry, but yeah. Oh, sorry, that's yeah. the same guy, basically. Not so much. The two they guys would probably they, take coverage right, with that. Right. I mean, I remember that being a th- that that being a huge one. It's I mean, and then the big pop ones. I mean, No Scrubs TLC. That was like that was the video that you. And again, yeah. the fact that we're even talking videos. I mean, yeah. this was there was still a channel for this stuff that mainly played music videos. You know, yep. that weird share uh, believe video was super just weird. The birth That's of Auto Tune. Birth of Auto Tune. There's a Eminem Stan, which I didn't know until relatively recently is why we stand something. You know, when, when right. you say like yeah. you're a stand of something, it's because of the music video. Uh, and then there was like another weird genre which we didn't really hit on, which is sort of like an amalgamation of the pop and the electronic, which was like the weird dance shit, like yeah. Eiffel sixty five, I'm blue. Oh my god, you know, for example. Uh, oh boy. And uh, that else? was a really like a weird music boys video. kind of thing. Like I think that was not. Wait, the the Eiffel uh, music video wasn't that a bunch of blue aliens yeah it was some like really good cgi stuff CGI and there's like ever. occasionally the like frank they're oh, french fuck. and he had the like baseball hat with that metal plate <laughs> <Yeah>. on the <laughs> so that was very good 99. times guys yeah. the 90s are great but then there's all the sort of smash mouth and those oh, types yeah. of uh, videos happening in the background as well um so yeah i guess the chemical brothers was my yeah, it's a good one, one it's, a, it's, a, it's a great one yeah. um so um, as we wrap this up, I want to talk to you about your creation of music a little bit. And by that, I mean the theme song for this podcast. Oh, yeah. Great theme song. It's a fucking great theme song. It's a banger. It is. People, I can't even tell you how many people say that it gets stuck in their head constantly. Thank you, Phil. I, I, as a, I do some graphic design work and I do some yeah. music stuff. And for some reason, it's like the, the goofy little fun things are like, that's the most exciting stuff to do, mm-hmm. to put together. Because there's no, you know. There's no uh, – what, what, what am I trying to describe? I don't know. Here? Is there no creative process? No, there's no pressure. There's no – you just do oh, whatever. Okay, you know? okay. like I, I, uh, I, I remember when you emailed it to me. You said, I think I might have gone a little too far with this. Right. And I was like, this is fucking perfect. Okay, good. Yeah. But, and truthfully, I imagine that I think to your point, there were no guardrails, right? I was just like, go give us yeah, something and see what it is. small recording you know. space. Yeah. I do some stuff in the house. And uh, I, I don't know if you guys had asked or if I just – did it anyway, but maybe it was a combination of the two. Uh, but I, I think we. I think you proposed it, and I, I was I like, "Absolutely." It. Maybe you guys need a theme song because I listen yeah. to a lot of podcasts. Yeah. A lot of great podcasts have great theme songs, yeah. uh, and I think it was maybe even the inspiration of a, a podcast I loved listening to, which was. Um, uh, <laughs> 
Paul Shear. Oh, yes. Uh, how'd that get made? How did that get made? And they had this great uh, goofy, uh, I think it's actually a remix of an old uh, theme song that they did. But, uh, I mean, it's a meticulously crafted sort of rap thing where they sort of uh-huh. go over uh, all of the sort of movies they're making fun of. Uh, so initially the intention was to have this sort of drum machine, almost like um, – LCD sound system, he uh, sort of name dropping a bunch of movies from 99. It, it, that just seemed like too much work. So at the time I had this whatever vocal thing was going over just sort of as a scratch track as a sort of filler. Uh, but then it just seemed fine. Then it just seemed like, you know what? Phil will like this. <laughs> wow. Uh, no, it was, and there's a chorus of me singing 1999. I want to make it sound like a big sort of gang of vocals. So it sounds like a, it like a power pop me like song recording from that same yeah. vocal about 25 times over. Are you serious? Just to kind of give it a bit of a breath. Yeah. Uh, so. I love that Jan's wife Erin is in the studio she with is, us, she, and hello. she's just laughing and nodding emphatically. It's like Jan's playing with his keyboards in the basement. <laughs> <laughs> Phil, before we wrap this up, yes. so we are here. Erin is here. We're visiting LA. I wanted to bring something from the old country back oh, to you. Oh, and okay. when you were last visiting us in Toronto, you uh, you were really nice. Uh, you and Lisa brought something nice for the girls. Uh, we have two kids, but uh, I, we did want to bring something for you. That's really unnecessary, it's but sh- thank you. It should have been like at the beginning. I forgot about this. But, no. uh, oh, it's so. Okay. Here we go. Do you want me to open, yeah, open yeah. this There's uh, the, on mic? Yeah, on wrap. You should explain what's happening. Uh, okay. It's in a, uh, a Toronto Maple Leafs. Uh, no. no. Oh, sorry. 19. Blue Jays? Yep. Fuck. Uh, Official team shop bag. Yep. With uh with blue uh tissue paper. Yes, tissue paper. And and now a uh a child's no, no. Look at the tag. This is good. This is good. Okay. I'm uh, I don't know what I'm supposed to be reading. It's exactly. a baseball oh. cap for your dog. Oh, for Margot. See, there's holes where the ears are. Oh, that's come amazing. Out of. She will never let me put this <laughs> on her. <laughs> This is actually, if I can get her to wear this, I mean, you got to be something. You got to do it for the grand. Oh, I, I mean, absolutely will. That's, that's, that's a one. Photo. Uh, for for all our listeners, uh, yes, my dog uh, probably will not uh, allow me to put this. So on. I'm going to try. It's a child size looking retro baseball cap. It's with it's two it's fantastic. Holes in the side where the ears would stick out. <laughs> And then I do love the ear. To holes. make sure the hat doesn't fall off of the dog's head, there's like a strap that goes. Yeah. I mean, this is bordering on animal abuse, I'm sure. It's, but it's <laughs> <laughs> photos. It's uh, I I love it. At the very I think least, Margot's going to love it. Oh, she'll like it for the photo. I think we need to before this goes up. Yeah. you got to get a picture of her wearing it. It's oh, absolutely. Go on Twitter. Yeah, I mean this 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 episode Hometown will be pride. dropping in a couple months, so we've yeah. got time. That's the one. She'll um, be back from boot camp. She'll be back from boot camp. so LA. She's at she's, a vegan at a, boot camp. She's not vegan, um, but she's at a boot camp. Juice cleanse. Uh, juice cleanse. Um, so, Jan, you're going to come back on for a movie next time. Yeah, yeah. Right? Or a television show or something sure. to that effect. Maybe Splendor. I would love for you to come on uh, Splendor. Okay. I don't yeah, no, that makes sense. It's it good, does. That, it that does makes make sense. sense yeah. um, you know, we'll do it probably over Skype or something like mm-hmm. that because, you know. You we're going to work on a, a playlist that will be up. Yes. We're going to get that up. Uh, I mean, Again, for when this episode drops, which will be probably in June. I feel like you're not supposed to talk about time. Doesn't this matter. Right. Who's a shit? Um, but yeah, so we'll make sure that the playlist goes up uh, around the time that this episode drops. Um, you are sort of on social media, but not really, right? No. You, you don't really do that stuff. I don't really but... do it for like promotional purposes. Right. It's more like your personal life, which, you know, anyway. Yeah. Uh, so uh, 
I'm at PM Iskov on Instagram and Twitter. We are a podcast like 1999 next week. Uh, no guest, just Kenny and I talking about happy Texas, a very strange little movie, um, that we kind of liked in the end. Uh, it was about, uh, we did we talked a lot about the Sundance, uh, film festival, uh, talked a lot about weird quirky comedies that, that, um, are paid, uh, that people pay way too much money for. Uh, but yeah, it's, uh, it's a really fun episode and, uh, we hope that you'll, uh, you'll check it out, but, um, thank you for being on. Yara. Thanks for having me, Philly. And, uh, and he's going to be on again for, for Splendor or for another film of some sort. And, uh, and like that, but, uh, thank you in person for our theme song and for the artwork and nice. for, for all that you do for our podcast. Wicked. All right. Thanks. Bye. Podcast like it's just podcast like it's podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.